Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit for plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com. Ah, 2003, Eddie Guerrero, Big Show. And I didn't even play the beginning of that, which you'll hear later on. I don't know if they could actually do some of the stuff that they do now. You know, just the stereotype of a Mexican, Eddie Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero, tacos, burritos, blah, 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 blah. What's up, everyone? This week in wrestling history, this is episode 40, which means it's week 40 in the year. I am Don Tony, as always. I want to thank you very much for listening. This week, we get into the period of October 2nd through October 8th. Let's get right into it. A lot of audio clips this week. I think more promos than matches, but we did have a couple of important debuts to talk about this week. Uh, quite a few, actually. Some of them involve audio clips. Some of them don't. Let's get right into it very quickly. 1972, Ken Patera, at the time, Olympic weightlifter, powerlifter he announces to the shock of many that he was going to be retiring from powerlifting to become a professional wrestler and it, i look we didn't have internet or back in the 70s but if you do some google research you'd be shocked of how big of a news story this was across the united states believe it or not 
1975, and we're going to throw an audio clip right out there. I could sit here and explain word for word what went down, but I think you would probably enjoy it a hell of a lot more if you hear it from the mouth of Nature Boy Ric Flair himself. It was this week in 1975. He was on that Cessna 310 plane heading to Legion Stadium in North Carolina. He was on the plane with David Crockett, Bob Ruggers, Tim Woods, Johnny Valentine, and the plane crashed. You know, it's just amazing that anybody survived that plane crash. Not too many photos of the plane online, but you can find some vintage news articles. And I know we have always heard little drips and drabs about this story and how they were able to survive as well. But uh, Ric Flair has done a few interviews in recent years, and I got a little audio clip here right now of Ric Flair talking about it. Runs about 10 minutes, but believe me when I tell you, he keeps your attention for the entire 10 minutes. I could have put up a different audio clip that was about half the time. This one is awesome. So here we go. Ric Flair talking about the plane crash, which took place this week back in 1975. We'd all gotten drunk the night before on a Saturday night. I think we wrestled in Charlotte or Greensboro. And it was a three o'clock show in Wilmington, sold out. First match with me and Wahoo. Um, Valentine was wrestling Tim Woods off another hot angle. So Wahoo, who had a party at his house at his apartment that night over in Sherman Amity, elected to drive, as he did a lot of times. So with the plane originally was supposed to have Wahoo on it and Jimmy Crockett. Jimmy was at the party, so he wasn't going. So he called his brother David and said, David needs to make Wilmington. So that's how David even ended up on the flight. Because they, you know, they, one thing about the Crockett, they worked as hard as we did. I mean, they, they traveled with us and went and so I guess I left Wahoo's that night about, you know, probably myself, like four in the morning and went home. So I was flying though. <laughs> so got out there at one o'clock and uh, it was a beautiful day. But, you know, as I've told a thousand times, we had no idea how far over gross we were. Six guys, you know, five wrestlers, average weight around 250 pounds at that point in time. David was probably 200 pounds. So let's, it's an average weight of 240 pounds. Um, we were overgrossed by 1,400 pounds, you know. So Farkas compensated, but unbeknownst to all of us, by carrying less gas. And we had a headwind, as you often do, going to the coast. And he had the headphones on, we were laughing and talking. And the, 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 the gas gauges were, at that point in time, in the, on that particular plane, not in the dashboard, but they were up above, you know, on a, on a different board. Different area, like the oil pressure and all that. They so you could even see it from the seats in the back. Oh yeah, because Valentine, Valentine was watching the gas gauge go down, and he kept, you know, John was a big river. He <laughs> was watching it, but I wasn't thinking anything. I was waiting for, you know, until you didn't even think about it. He was, we were watching him go right to zero, and apparently, what I've been told is that Michael Farkas hit Raleigh. He said, you know, I'm just, I can push it. I'm going to make it instead of just stopping and getting some gas which would have been the logical thing to do, a little easier than what we did. But he decided to push it, and sure enough, when the right engine went down, he pulled reserve tanks, which I don't know why he did that, because we have the gas on them. Thank God now, because, you know, as we look back on it, if we'd seen the plane, if it, if it had been fueling the plane, we would have caught on fire, and we would all have died. But we just threw no reserve gas, and about one minute after the right one went down, the left one went down, and we coasted in. 
at a high rate of speed. And uh, Valentine was sitting on the the front seat, mm -hmm. and, and in one of the, an interview that he did about. It was a little less than 10 years ago. He says that originally that was supposed to be the spot that you were going to take. Yeah. No, that's the first thing I started for. I, the guy with the most seniority always got that spot. I wish it had been my spot. Sitting in the back seats was the shits. <laughs> yeah, so whatever story he's telling there, that was the premier spot on the plane. Wahoo would have been sitting there, and Valentine, would have, that would have been a big fight. So who sat there? That was the back seats on those planes, like, like the back two. I'm, I had enough seniority to get ahead of Brugger's. And David Crockett, the rest of it was, or yeah, Woods was next to me. We were behind, and it was David and, uh, you know, and, and Bob. But those planes were incredibly small. That was, he was sitting in the catbird seat because he. This was seniority. He was the seniority, yeah. So that's another ludicrous story that's <laughs> it's absurd. The, the reason Valentine's wrecked, is wrecked, he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. That's why he's messed. That's why, is it, was that, that ever been footnoted? No. Yeah, so he didn't have a seatbelt on. They pulled John. They pulled John out of the cockpit. He was up to his armpits. You know that story, right? They they pulled John out of the plane. He went right. He put his hands up, you know, which is normal. His arms went right up to his armpits, to the dashboard. Well, what about you and your memories of? Uh, I had a seatbelt on. My injury was due to a seatbelt, because I my seatbelt held me in. But you know, I flew forward, obviously, and it. That's what caused the compression fracture to my back. Did so I'm going to set the record straight. The reason John's back, and well, the injury, who knows what could have happened, but they pulled John's armpits out of the out of the cockpit of the plane. He was buried up to his arms, you know, trying to break it. He didn't have a seatbelt on. Mm -hmm. Was there a, was the pilot was he was he credentialed to be? The, no, in this he had no license, business? which we found out. Do you know about his girlfriend's having a double knockout at the door? No. Do you know about that? No. Well, you know, it's funny, but um, I could tell a story on myself right now. I'm not going to tell it myself this time because I don't want to hurt by his feelings. But we all had a lot going on. You know, my dad used to tell me when I was a kid, he said, I used to say to him sometimes, I think I said it to him later in life as he became sick, you know, the will to live, because I used to, he was saying, at this day, I'm really sympathetic towards people that have paralysis and that. I'm not sure if I was ever paralyzed that I would want to be alive. But I couldn't, you know, I don't know, how, I don't know if I could deal with it. And my dad always said to me, the will to live, you have no idea, is so much stronger than anything else. And, and I'm not, I don't want to disagree with that thought process. I just don't know how I would deal with that type of injury. So getting back to Mike Farkas, I'm sorry, is that um, when we crashed, right, we're all dealing with our own stuff. And I had something going on behind the scenes that I didn't want anybody to know about, especially my wife, Leslie. So the first words out of my mouth, and I've seen this guy twice since the accident where I said, I've got something in my shaving kit, get it. Because <laughs> we were loading us up back then. We had those ambulances where they put the, the tears like this. It wasn't like the two beds now. We were one of those old ambulances where they put us like this, right? And they said, Hurry, I think we might lose this one. I thought they were talking about me. So I thought I was saying to some guy, I'm going to be dead, so I don't want my wife to see this. There's a little letter that somebody wrote me, and I want that gone. Um, and uh, sure enough, uh, it was gone. But I mean, it wasn't me. They were talking about, they were talking about Bob Bruggers who went into shock. Mm -hmm. um, but the next, first thing I remember is um, 
telling that guy that they were taking me off the plane. And that's kind of what set that process through my mind over the years, that, you know, that when something really does go down, you better not have anything that you don't want anybody to find out about because it does click. I'm living proof because that's the first thing I thought about, you know. Well, Michael Farkas, you know, never regained consciousness. He, had a, he was engaged to a girl in Denver, Colorado, that flew in. He was engaged to a girl in Charlotte. Both at the door. Wow. Half hour apart. Nice to meet you, honey. I'm a, nice to meet you. You can imagine how bad that was. So that's a crazy situation, huh? That's a crazy situation. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was common knowledge. That's was it was incredibly sad. I felt bad. Um, it's funny. I've never held a grudge against Michael. I mean, I feel bad for Michael Farkas to this day. I mean, I mean, I didn't lose anything but some time. And for some reason, it's enhanced my legend. I don't know why, because I was just lucky. I mean, it was God's gift that I came out of it like I did. But people will translate that into, wow, he, he came back. And I was, I mean, I, did, I didn't come back from that much. I knew I wanted to be a wrestler, and I wasn't going to let that keep me down. But don't think I wasn't wrecked. <laughs> I don't want anybody to think I wasn't a hero. You know, I went to my first match at Park Center six months later. I called Dave Johnson, who has passed away, who was the orthopedist at the Miller Clinic. I called him five times before I went in the ring that night from the payphone. I go, you sure I can go wrestle? He goes, yeah, Rick, I'm telling you, you can do it. I couldn't get myself to fall down. I could not get myself to fall down. So I was not the hero that everybody thought I was. Do you know how I took my first first bump? You never heard the story? George Scott made me wrestle Tim Woods an hour every night until I took a backdrop. After five nights, Farmville, Virginia, I took a backdrop. Done wrestling too. I didn't watch for an hour. That's how I, I couldn't get myself to fall down. You know, once I took that first backdrop, I was fine. But as I took it, you know, that's when I started landing on my side, which people talk about for years. I've always landed on my side. Just, just psychological. You know. When you were, uh, when you were being taken to the uh, emergency room from the, uh, from the plane. I mean, obviously, your first thought you mentioned was, is, is you wanted to protect some of the people that you love, but did, did you think about your career at all? Did you think about this would be a career-ending injury, or did you? No, and not at first. I just didn't, I wanted to know that I was gonna live first. I mean, I didn't know what was going on. And guess who the first person I saw was? Why? Yeah, boy, I mean, which was unheard of back then. They thought, well, we came in the hospital to kick my ass. They did. They, they were like, they had they called the cops to get walked out of the emergency room. He, he just broke all lines of kayfabe. I mean, he just he walked in the door and to see if we were okay. He didn't give a shit. That's what kind of man he was. But they called the police because they thought Wahoo was coming in to kick everybody's ass <laughs> while we were down. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a true story. I was laying at that metal table. I remember freezing my ass off. And, you okay, boy? I said, yeah. I said, I ain't leaving. Don't worry. <laughs> he just told everybody in the hospital. <laughs> Telling nurses to move and people to move, and they called the police. They removed him, but that was Wahoo right there. They made a big deal about uh, protecting that Tim Woods was on the plane because he was involved. Yeah, yeah. In, he went and wrestled in Greensboro. Yeah, well, but but they they made a point because he was supposed to wrestle Valentine that night, mm -hmm. and if and if it came out that the two of them were on the same us. plane, and, and, it, and it almost killed you because if Wahoo was on that plane, yeah, it would have done the same thing, and, that, yeah. and you wouldn't have been able to get away with it. No. No one knew who George Wooden was, how we pulled it off. They never found out it was Tim Woods. 1980.
the Midnight Express, the original Midnight Express. Do you remember the original members of the Midnight Express? They defeated the Rock and Roll Express to win the NWA Mid-America Tag Team titles. And, you know, we always hear over the years, and we've seen vintage footage, recently the Hall of Fame ceremony where they were talking about the Rock and Roll Express being inducted. You know, you always heard the Midnight Express versus the Rock and Roll Express. Back in 80, the Midnight Express was made up of Randy Rose, Norvell Austin, and Dennis Condry. So not the uh, the team that you everybody most notes them for, but it was this week in 80, they won those tag titles. 1984, Shawn Michaels makes his pro wrestling debut. Took place for the UWF Mid-South promotion out of Lake Charles, Louisiana. He wrestled under his name, Shawn Michaels, and lost to Art Cruz. 1984, the great Muda and Masahiro Chono both make their pro wrestling debuts against each other. That is not... The, the only time it happens this week in history, we got a really cool one to get into momentarily. I'm not saying that this one isn't cool, but some very interesting debuts this week in history. But Great Muda and Chono, they wrestled each other for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And Great Muda, under the name KJ Muto, defeated Masahiro Chono. 1985, the dynamic duo of Gino Hernandez and Chris Adams lose a hair versus hair match against Kevin and Kerry Von Erich. Took place for World Class Championship Wrestling's Cotton Bowl Extravaganza. And we get to an audio clip again. 1985, second ever edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. Meadowlands Arena here in, New in the Northeast. I shouldn't say New York, it's New Jersey. But... During this episode, we had the infamous wedding between Uncle Elmer and Joyce. I hated the fucking wedding. Nothing personal, but I despised Uncle Elmer. Who is the fucking nephew, Cousin Luke? I Talk about my most hated wrestlers growing up as a kid. I despised both of them. I hated this fucking wedding. You go back and you watch it closely. It There is so much wrestle crap comedy to it. Roddy Piper, when he came out, was great. You know, it, 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 just a lot of little things that went down that would obviously lead to a feud with Roddy and a little bit of Jesse involved as well, Bob Orton. But what I will always remember from this wedding, and no, I am not playing the whole wedding. I'm only playing about five minutes of it, only because of Jesse Ventura's commentating. It is priceless, and the one moment that I will always remember from this wedding is there's one point where they're saying their vows, and somebody throws, uh, I don't know if it, was, it wasn't a bottle, but it was some piece of garbage, and it, they had the close-up on Elmer and Joyce's faces. And this garbage pelted Joyce right in the head. And you could see that she was really, really startled. Now, nobody wants to see her get hurt, obviously. She was really, really startled. I think Uncle Elmer really got shaken over it. And Jesse Ventura on commentating is laughing his ass off that she got hit in the head with a piece of garbage. If you think I'm lying, just go back and watch it. I kid you not. I pop every time I see that. Again, I don't want to see her hurt. I, she's, you know, an innocent, you know, participant in this debacle, which was the wedding. But still, it is ultimate wrestle crap going back. 1985, the closing moments of Uncle Elmer and Joyce getting married. Jesse on commentating, priceless. <laughs> 
Uncle Elmer, if you would please repeat after me. Uh-oh, here we go again. This I, could be difficult. Uncle Elmer. I, Uncle Elmer. <laughs> accept you as my wife. Accept you as my wife. To respect and love. To expect and love. Expect what? For better What's or worse. What's he expect? I was respect, not expect. In sickness and in health. And sickness and in health. For richer out. or poorer, He's nervous, I, yes? pledge, or poor, I pledge myself to you. I pledge myself to you. Right. You know, Joyce, the guy can't read, you now he can't even hear. Me? I, Joyce, please, do not interrupt I, Joyce, Joyce, accept you as my husband. Accept you as my husband. Please, Joyce, you can still get out of it. To respect They make a lovely couple, Jesse. Oh, my! Ha ha! Did you see that, McMahon? A sign from the heavens. It's not going to work. That's a nice-looking tie Uncle Elmer has on. I pledge myself yeah, and she's to obviously you. sick. For I pledge myself to you. The rings, please. All right, here it comes now, Just. Here come the rings. Are the rings going on fingers or in noses? But you... This is a wedding. The wedding rings are a visible sign of the right. marriage of Uncle he's Elmer. To get the, uh, he's having some difficulty <laughs> getting the ring on her finger, I think. Hey, I hope the, that's not a premonition of what's going to come later. These two are both very visible. No doubt about that. Elmer having some difficulty. I got it now. He got it now. All right, good. Now you know what they say about grease and hogs. Uh, please, please repeat yes. after me, Uncle Elmer. All right, here we go now. I give you this ring as a sign. I give you... I can't hear you. <laughs> I give you this ring as a sign. Would you, you please stop it? I give you this ring as a sign he got of my like constant faith and abiding love. And of my intensity faith and abiding love. <laughs> Joyce, would you place Uncle Elmer's ring on his finger? Would you please stop it? He got it right. He's nervous. I'm nervous. Oh, he's you, nervous. Please repeat after me. Ooh. I give you this ring as a sign. I give you this ring as a sign. Of my constant faith and abiding love. Of constant faith and abiding love. She's got to be the greatest now, liar in the world. if any person here present can show just cause She's why Uncle Elmer and Joyce should not lawfully be joined together, let him now speak. Or else forever hold his peace. Wait a minute, what's the matter with that? I'm over this way. I didn't do nothing, McMahon. Oh, wait. Roddy Piper! There is no room here for romance and wrestling. What is this? I object. Roddy's here to save there the day. whatsoever for this solemn and sacred ceremony. I think it's great. Throw the judge out. Put Roddy in there to marry him. Finally, Piper leaving the area. Please, let us have quiet. Yes, let's do it. For a moment, it appeared as though Elmer would not be married. Quiet, please. Elmer's got to be upset now if he wasn't before. Save us, Roddy. Please. By the authority vested in me, by the laws of the state of New Jersey, I now pronounce you to be husband and wife. All right! May kiss your spouse. All right, he's going to uh, kiss her. Look at that. Uh, Elmer, get ready. Oh, Jesse, what do you think of that? Look at that. It looks like two carp in the Mississippi River going after the same piece of corn. It what? Looks like two carp in the river going after the same corn on the hook. All right. Elmer, plant one on Joyce. Here, a little hug from Hillbilly Jim as well. Mean Gene playing them out of there. This was... This was fabulous. This was something very, very...
1988, Rockin' Robin defeats Sensational Sherry to win the WWF Women's Championship. At that time, she was the last women's champion until they brought the title back in the mid-90s. Um, they, WWF pretty much disbanded the, the women that were still wrestling for the promotion. Sherry obviously became a manager, but Rockin' Robin would hold on to that title until it got deactivated in 1990. Speaking of 1990, 1990, Chris Jericho and Lance Storm make their pro wrestling debuts against each other. Took place for the CWC promotion in Pinoca, Alberta, Canada. And who won that match? Believe it or not, no BS. They both wrestled to a time limit draw. Very, very cool. You know, I always remember them as the thrill seekers, but they actually wrestled each other in their debut. Very, very cool. I know it sounds like that we're really flying through the years. Believe me when I tell you when everything is said and done, this is going to be a nice long episode with a lot of great clips. Some of the clips you would, would probably have never heard. Some of them, you know, you'll reminisce. It'll be a lot of fun. 1991, WWF has an event in London, England called the Battle Royal. And this one is something that I always wanted to see. It sound, it just, the card itself just sounds like a really fun card. I'm not going to lie to you. I've never checked to see if this is on home video. I, for some reason, not thinking that it is because at some point in my life, I probably would have came across this event. But the main event, obviously, was a battle royal. The matches on the card, the Nasty Boys over the Rockers, Ric Flair over Tito Santana, Earthquake over the Boss Man, the Mountie over Texas Tornado, Undertaker over Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Legion of Doom over Power and Glory, British Bulldog over the Barbarian, and then they had a 20-man-over-the-top battle royal featuring Texas Tornado, Undertaker, Typhoon, Tito Santana, Jerry Sags, Paul Roma, Roddy Piper, Shawn Michaels, the Legion of Doom, the Mountie, Marty Jannetty, Brian Nobbs, Hercules, Ric Flair, Earthquake, Boss Man, Jim Duggan, the Barbarian, and the British Bulldog. And it was won by the British Bulldog. 1992, we've talked about it in the past, Scott Steiner. Very early heel turn that only lasted for a couple of weeks because he would depart WCW for the WWF. At this time, he wrestled and defeated Ricky Steamboat for the TV title. And uh, it was interesting to see Scott Steiner in 1992, you know, teasing the heel turn. Um, he was still tremendously over with the crowd. And this was way before, you know, the NWO was around. I mean, it's 1992. And it was just really, really interesting to see it at that time. But again, after he won it, he would leave WCW only a few weeks later. 1993, Tommy Dreamer makes his ECW debut, loses to the Tasmaniac. We kind of touched on it last episode when uh, we played Jimmy Snooker versus Terry Funk because they had NWA Bloodfest Part 1 and Part 2. Believe it or not, Everybody focuses on this match as Dreamer's debut. He actually debuted the night before under a mask. But since nobody knew who he was at the time under their mask, we take 
this event against Tasmaniac as his official ECW debut. Main event was Sabu over Shane Douglas to win the NWA ECW championship. Also, Public Enemy defeated Ian and Axel Rotten and the Bad Company in a three-team steel cage match. Now we go to another clip. I hope you've really enjoyed these because it was just fabulous to look back at 1993 and the early stages of Mr. McMahon. Four years before Mr. McMahon would be born. And again, when you're a wrestling fan like me in 1993, where Vince McMahon is nothing more uh, as far as on camera as a TV announcer, and to see the skits and the promos that he's cutting in USWA, sure, he wasn't completely polished, but still, he was practicing for this heel character that he always wanted to be. And again, there are a lot of podcasts that talk about wrestling history, and it's a shame that 99% of them, when they talk about Vince McMahon and USWA, they focus on 1997 instead of 1993. Well, now, since you've been following these weeks, Vince originally bringing in wrestlers like Tatanka, Giant Gonzalez, and if you follow the storyline, Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler pretty much hate each other, and Vince keeps bringing people into USWA to not only defeat Jerry Lawler, but to win the title, the unified heavyweight title. So now, as we talked in a recent week or two, that Tatanka, who had originally beat Lawler, lost the title back to Lawler. So Vince McMahon now ups it a notch even more. Got two promos to share with you, and I think you will really enjoy these immensely. And I can't wait to get into uh, a couple of weeks from now. I don't want to spoil it too early, but, you know, Macho Man ultimately wins the USWA United Heavyweight title. He does. He wins it. But then he vacates the title. And a lot of people always think that it was because of the steroid controversy, the trial that Vince McMahon was going to endure in 93-94. That is not the case at all. Believe it or not, no one knows how far this storyline of WWF versus USWA could have gone. But as you will hear in a few weeks from now, when you put everything together, in my opinion, it was a 13 or 14-year-old girl that ruined the storyline between the USWA and the WWF. When we get to that time and we talk about the allegations against Lawler and I bring up a few things, it will all fall into place and you will realize that those accusations is what killed this storyline. So let's go back this week in 1993. Vince McMahon is now going to bring in the Macho Man Randy Savage to take on Jerry Lawler. Here is a promo from Macho Man. Here is a promo from Vince McMahon. And what is so awesome about this is remember, go back around 93. Remember how Macho Man was used in the WWF. More in the commentary role, he ultimately would leave for WCW and would wrestle a little more. But when you listen to this promo and listen to Macho Man, you feel like it's 1985, not 1993. It is fabulous. I hope you enjoy it. Macho Man and Vince McMahon cutting promos for an upcoming match against Jerry Lawler. 
here. Randy Savage against uh, the King, Jerry Lawler. Lawler getting the win after the chain was discovered, thanks to uh, Jeff Jarrett uh, pointing it out to the referee. Well, Savage is uh, on his way back. He had some words, and I might as well not keep it a secret. He says he's going to have Vince McMahon in his corner when he gets here. Listen. All you did was buy yourselves a little time down there. Tennessee justice at its best, yeah! Yeah, you made jackasses out of yourselves all around the world, yeah. You put Memphis, Tennessee, where the injustice happened under a microscope. Now everybody knows how you do business down there, yeah. But the history that we have, yeah, big time history. And I whooped you right there in the Mid-South Coliseum, one, two, three, yeah. And Jeff Jarrett comes down to ringside. And according to Vince McMahon and people all around the world, takes a chain and sticks it under my arm, and then the chain drops. And then that's where Tennessee justice kicks in. Bad to the bone with a heart of stone. That's what you guys are all about, aren't you? Yeah. Except for one thing. We called you on the carpet now. Mm-hmm. Made a big international incident, didn't we? Yeah, well, that's okay. You guys can say what you want about the situation. But this Monday night in Memphis, I'm not only going to be the new unified world wrestling champion but i'm gonna proclaim myself king of the hicks yeah because i'm better than you are lawler yeah and the problem is is that you know it yeah all your little politics down there all your little stooges uh-huh that happened to protect you all these years it's all come to a head and now you're gonna get found out yeah litigation uh, you don't like litigation now do you boy I'll tell you what now, eyes in back of my head, I need them, I know that, I know that, that's why Vince McMahon, this Monday night, is gonna walk down the aisle with me, and be in my corner here, at the Mid-South Coliseum, now how you like that, boy? Huh? How you like that? Lolly, you're nothing but garbage! You understand that? I'll tell you, macho style, I'm gonna beat you, this Monday night at the Mid-South Coliseum, yeah, and around my waist, I'm gonna have that unified world championship belt. And I'm gonna proclaim myself king of the hicks. You don't like that now, do you, boy? But that's the way it is. And there's nothing that you can do about it, yeah. And I'm gonna slap you, and I'm gonna slap each and every one of you in that Mid-South Coliseum going down that aisle. Cause that's just the way that it is. And I'm gonna do it by giving you the Big Apple high side. The macho man is gonna be Lawler this Monday night in Memphis for the belt. How do you like that, promoter Eddie Marlin? Dig it! Last week I told you what you could believe in. You could believe in death, you could believe in taxes, and you could believe in Randy Savage. Some of you did, for good reason. Randy Savage last Monday night became the unified champion. He beat Jerry Lawler, plain and simple. And then from there, Jerry Lawler, being the cheat that he is, he and Jeff Jarrett and who knows who else, what a stunt to pull on one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, the macho man Randy Savage, what a stunt bringing that chain down to the ring, sticking it underneath the macho man's arm and then pointing to the official as if the macho man had used it. Shame, shame 
on you, Jeff Jarrett. Shame on you, Jerry Lawler. But thank goodness that there is a little bit of justice in Tennessee. Thank goodness that after threats of litigation, that someone listened. You listened, Eddie Marlin. You did the only thing you could do. You hold the unified championship belt up. It won't be held up for long. Because come this Monday night, what you're going to see is Randy Savage returning to the Mid-South Coliseum. You're going to see Randy Savage accompanied by me, Vince McMahon. I'm going to be in his corner. It's obvious that the macho man needs eyes in the back of his head. And these eyes are going to be watching his back for your shenanigans, Jerry Lawler. Let me just say this, that when it comes to seeing things very, very clearly, this Monday night, everyone will see Randy Savage once again crown the unified champion. And after you see that, you'll be seeing the macho man the same way that I do. In living macho vision. Well, McMahon will be in the corner of Randy Savage uh, this week, downtown Bruno. 1995. Two more clips for everybody out there. Uh, ECW. I mean, the promos that Mick Foley... And Steve Austin started to cut at this time in ECW were next to none. Mick Foley especially. Because Steve Austin was really expressing his disgruntledness for the way he was treated in WCW. And, you know, lit a fire under his ass. And a lot of people feel that the early stages of Stone Cold were developed in ECW, which I totally believe. Mick Foley, though, was on a whole different level. And if you just sit there and watch these promos and listen to them week in and week out and week in and week out. Now, look, obviously we haven't played every single one of Mick Foley's promos at this time in 95 in ECW, but my God, when you put them all together, I will honestly say this, the greatest set of promos for any wrestler in the history of wrestling, you take a two to three month span of Mick Foley's promos in ECW, there is nobody, there is not one person that could come close as far as the creativity, the believability, the entertainment value. This, I believe, is what really caught WWF's attention. You know, not just the fact that, you know, of his wrestling, but here is another promo. And this is building the storyline further with him and Tommy Dreamer. Now, remember November to remember 1995. That's coming up soon, about a month. We'll cover it. But this is all leading up to November to remember. And the storyline is, is that Cactus Jack is trying to get Tommy Dreamer to leave ECW to go to WCW. 
and it's not helping because Tommy Dreamer is hardcore. A lot of people may not believe this, but in 1994 and 1995, Tommy Dreamer had a little bit of a hard time getting completely over with the ECW fans. I lived through it. I saw it. I witnessed a lot of it firsthand. You know, early on, it was pretty boy Tommy Dreamer, but Tommy Dreamer, I mean, he had to pile drive Beulah, hit fucking Raven with vicious chair shots. He would brawl fucking all these people, and he, there was still a little core audience of ECW that just wouldn't buy into it. Um, but you know, Cactus was trying to further the storyline of Tommy Dreamer being hardcore. And this would lead ultimately to Terry Funk coming back in, which we will cover soon as well. But uh, here you go, 1995, Cactus Jack, one of his best promos during this storyline, cutting the promo on Tommy Dreamer. You know, I'd like to kind of apologize for my behavior. I'm embarrassed. Certainly feel a little stupid about the way I acted here out on this show a few weeks ago because I get a little emotional when I talk about wrestling because wrestling's been my livelihood for the past 10 years. It's enabled me to live out my childhood dream. So for me to come out on a show such as the ECW television program and Bad Mouth, the wrestlers there, well, I'm sorry. But I think in order to understand what's going around my head and going through it, you have to understand where I came from and what my goals were when I got into wrestling. See, back in 1985, there was a program on 2020 that, that, that challenged the wrestling industry, kind of portrayed it in a negative light. And Tommy, if you're listening, try to understand that I was about the world's biggest wrestling fan. And for me to stand in front of that television set and see people running down a business that I loved and held dear, even though I knew very little bit about it, to see my friends laughing at me saying, that's what you want to get involved in. And that night I went to bed, not with visions of sugar plums dancing through my head, but of broken bones, of battered bodies, of bloodied corpses saying to myself, if it's the last thing I do, if I have to hold myself up for a human sacrifice, the world will respect professional wrestling. Oh, and that dream came through. Yes, I've sacrificed myself for the past 10 years and left the better parts of my past lying on concrete floors from Africa to Asia to South America to right into the middle of the ECW arena. And what's it really done? Where have we really come to? Lying in a hospital bed in Munich, Germany, watching my ear being thrown out into a garbage can, not being able to take it on the trip back because I don't know the German word for formaldehyde. And having a nurse walk into my room, looking at that piece of my body that's laying in the bottom of the garbage and saying, this is all a schauspiel, which means it's all a big joke. Excuse me, I didn't know. Do you open up the lungs of a smoker and say, oh my golly, I thought smoking was supposed to be good for you. Do you open up Terry Funk's non-functioning liver and soil? I didn't know that four decades of heavy drinking took this kind of toll. So if they show that much respect to the patient, what made me any different? 
because I was a wrestler and professional wrestling will never be respected no matter how many teeth I lose no matter how many ears I lose no matter how many brain cells have to die and so it comes down to the point where it's just not worth it it's not worth it and Tommy Dreamer you've got to start looking realistically at wrestling as a way to make a living nothing more and nothing less and as long as it's strictly business well you may as well be cuddled in the welcoming arms of world championship wrestling because ECW fans will be the best of you you see they realized and they were smarter than any of us that they rule ECW wrestling not us what happened, Tommy? You came back from all Japan wrestling with your trunks and your boots and said, by golly, I'm going to wrestle. Did, Baba, did Giant Baba hand you a dozen eggs and say, hit these on Jumbo Saruta's head? You're a disgrace to the profession, Tommy. You're becoming a damn fool. And I can't sit back there and take it because I've got a moral obligation. You see, when I survey the wasteland that is professional wrestling, Tommy, try to understand. I am but a failed experiment in human sociology, and I can accept that. But never in my sickest dreams did I imagine that there would be other people taking dives onto concrete floors, committing human suicide on my behalf. Like I'm the patron saint of the six sons of bitches. Is that all I stand for, Tommy? Is that all I stand for to sit in an arena where J.T. Smith lands head first on the concrete and hear the fans say, You f up! What f you? Who the hell do you think you are? We're not a wrestling organization anymore. We're the world's damn biggest puppet show. And I'll be damned. If I'm going to stand in that arena and let you call my match. One, two, three, jump. One, two, three, jump. Well, not me because I'm nobody's stooge. And Tommy Dreamer, if you had a little bit of pride or a little bit of common sense, you'd understand that those people don't love you. They laugh at you. You took the worst beatings the sport's ever seen, and they still laughed in your face. And I stood there with my arm around you six months ago and endorsed you, saying, he's hardcore. He's hardcore. Well, for that, I deserve to die a terrible, painful death, Tommy, because I feel responsible. And I go to bed at night, and I'm not sure where I'm going to spend my eternity. And you, Tommy... my salvation because by delivering you to a better organization where you can be appreciated loved and held with just the littlest amount of respect in the Turner family then maybe there's a chance for me too so please Tommy for my sake think it over because a yes to Cactus Jack would mean a great deal to me and a no well I'd have to take that
as you're putting a big okay stamp of approval on my eternal damnation. I'm counting on you, you little selfish Don't make me hurt you, because I can. Don't make me do it, and if I do, this God is my witness. It won't be in front of those little scumbags at the ECW arena. It'll just be me and you, Tommy. And you don't know when it's coming, and you don't know where. So I wish you wish to damn me to the depths of hell. Answer my call and say, okay, Cactus, you win. I'll put on the suspenders. I'll groom that mustache. And I'll call Uncle Eric and say, count me in. Because not only would you be doing yourself a big favor, not only would you be helping your life, you'd be saving mine. You'd be saving mine. You'd be saving mine. And now here is the promo that Steve Austin cut the same week in ECW back in 1995. You know, a couple of weeks ago when Eric Bischoff told his secretary to tell her secretary to leave a message on my answering machine for me to call Eric Bischoff and then I called Eric Bischoff and he proceeded to fire me over the phone. I thought a big cloud was lifted off the career of Steve Austin. Because gone were the days where I'd go up to someone and say, hey, what about me and Sting? We got this big thing going, how about the cage? And someone says, no baby, that's for somebody else. We're just gonna keep you right where you at right now. Well, then I said, well, how about me and Savage, man? I got this great idea, man. He comes in, he's got the Slim Jim deal. Well, hell, I got... No, Steve, that's for somebody else, baby. <laughs> then you go, I got this great idea I can do with Hulk Hogan. I'm going to be the Steve-O-Maniac, and we're going to take this thing all the way because Hulk Hogan, Hulkamania was the biggest thing to ever come down to wrestling's pike. And they say, no, that's not for you, brother. You can't do that. We're going to keep you right where you are. I said, how about me and Brian get back together? The Hollywood Blondes, it was the best tag team to come along in 10 years. And they say, no, Steve, we need you in a singles role, man. We need you to do this. We're going to put the U.S. title on you, and then we're going to take you here, and then you're the number one contender, so then you got this world title shot. Well, all that never happened. So there I am, floundering along. There's nothing going my way because the politics in WCW kept the biggest potential superstar in wrestling on the damn ground. What are you supposed to do? On one hand, they're paying you a bunch of money. They're paying me a bunch of money. Well, on this hand, they're telling me, hey, go out there and give Bagwell a hell of a match. Go out there with an 18-year-old German kid. Give him seven good minutes. Let the people see what he can do. They say you are what you eat. In WCW, they didn't feed me nothing but garbage. 
So I let myself become garbage. I became complacent with everything that they said. As long as Big Ted kept sending in the checks, maybe I wasn't happy with what was going on, but I became complacent. Then they send me to Japan, the big injury. Bischoff delivers a shot heard around the damn world. Steve Austin's out of the high paying job. All of a sudden, the phone starts ringing off the hook. It's ECW, it's the WWF, it's all Japan, it's New Japan, and all Steve Austin's gotta do is make a decision. Todd Gordon, whether he mortgaged his house one time, two times, maybe three times, came up with the right figure for Steve Austin to make a decision. I strolled into the ECW arena. It's the biggest piece of crap I've ever seen. I broke in in a building called the Sportatorium in Dallas, Texas, home of the world-famous Von Erichs. Anybody that was anybody stepped foot in a Dallas Sportatorium. For the last two years, all you've heard about anywhere in wrestling is the famous ECW arena. Debut night, I roll in, you've got the Sandman, you've got the Raven, you got the Pit Bulls, you got Stevie Richards, you got the public enemy, you got the gangsters, you got Mikey Wickrip, whatever the hell his name is, you got a bunch of damn misfits running around thinking that they can actually wrestle. All I've seen in ECW is a bunch of violent crap. And that's exactly what I'll call it because that's what it is. Steve Austin is here to wrestle. It's what I do best. It's what I do better than anybody in the world. Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, they got the big send-off. Tears were in everybody's eyes. It was a big deal. All Steve Austin got was a good swift kick in the ass as Bischoff hung up the phone and left me high and dry. There's no Hogan's here. There's no Flares here. There's not a Dusty Rhodes. And there damn sure isn't an Eric Bischoff here. There's no one they can hold back Steve Austin now. Stunning, tossed it out the window. Never was meant to be. ECW is gonna find out firsthand what Steve Austin can do. And I'm gonna show everybody here exactly what a true superstar is supposed to do what a true superstar is supposed to be. Because no one here can hold me back. Not Todd Gordon. Not Hulk Hogan. Not Eric Bischoff. Nobody. I'm gonna be the superstar that I always knew 
that I could be because there's no one, no one in ECW that can stop me. I should also mention that this week in 95 as well, ECW had a show in Middletown, New York. Sandman and Mikey Whipwreck, I believe, faced off in a ladder match. Sandman retained the title. Uh, Steve Austin did come out, cut a little promo, made a little appearance, you know, basically wishing both wrestlers good luck and everything. But, uh, you know, I just, you know, wasn't anything really memorable as far as the promo. But the one I just played for you, obviously, was one that everybody will remember. 1996, ECW as well. They had the Ultimate Jeopardy event in Philadelphia. I actually went to this card. And uh, it was an interesting card. I mean, the matches sound scattered, but the event flowed pretty, pretty cool. Uh, Louis Spicoli over Doug Furness. Mikey Whipwreck over JT Smith. Taz over Johnny Smith. Uh, which was an interesting match. The Eliminators over the Samoan Gangster Party. The, then the Gangsters uh, versus Stevie Richards and Meanie went to a no contest. This led to the Gangsters defeating the Eliminators. Bam Bam Bigelow over Terry Gordy. Devon over Bubba Ray. Shane Douglas and Pitbull number two fought to a no contest. And the main event, Sandman and Tommy Dreamer defeated Brian Lee and Stevie Richards. Raven was the ECW champion at the time. He did not perform in this match, so Stevie Richards wrestled for Raven. And they also did a stipulation that since Stevie Richards was wrestling for Raven, if Stevie Richards got pinned, he would ultimately cost Raven the title. He was basically defending the title. And sure enough, Sandman pinned Richards. Sandman became the champion. 1997, WWF has their bad blood pay-per-view. You know, there was a couple of things that went down on this pay-per-view that were very, very important, but obviously it gets oversighted for the most part because the night before, we had the tragic death of Brian Pillman. Vince McMahon opened up Bad Blood, announcing to us that Brian Pillman had passed away. It was surreal. It was shocking. I remember getting cold chills down my spine, and it really choked up a lot of people. Um, you know, we will talk about... Brian Pillman's, you know, the way they treated it the next night on Raw in a moment. But one thing I need to obviously share with everyone was the main event from that night, which was a very important main event. It was Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker in the first ever Hell in a Cell match. And when you see old clips and the old intros of Raw and you see a really, really bloodied Shawn Michaels catapulted into a cage door, this is from Hell in a Cell. The match was awesome, and we also had a debut of a particular wrestler during this match as well. So now I give you, not, I don't want to, it's not the full match, but I would say about, uh, let's see, we have uh, about 10 minutes, 11 minutes of this match, and I, you know it's very entertaining to hear, and you will also, during this clip, check out the debut of Kane.
Michaels has been lacerated. Shawn Michaels has been lacerated. Shawn Michaels driven right into the cage. And from the looks of things, it just busted him wide open. The Undertaker with Michaels now. with a kick to the groin area. I guess the low blow is worse than this. The Undertaker just spearing Shawn Michaels face first. But Michaels somehow. Michaels somehow. What's he doing? Trying to get away from the Undertaker. And Michaels is beginning. Where's he going? The Undertaker reaching for the ankle of Michaels. Oh, and a kick right in the face. He's going up. Michael is going up on top, top of the cells. He's on top of the cells. God, the Undertaker's going right after him. My God, what is this? Oh, my. Nowhere to go now. Nowhere to go. Look down. Shawn Michaels and the Undertaker.
The Undertaker coming Look right out. down. Michael Look wrapped out. up in cords, in cables. Wait a minute. 
Watch this. following night on Raw, you know, even though it was the death of Brian Pillman, WCW still pounded WWF in the ratings. But there were two very important moments during this event. Actually, two very important moments, but there's an, a little one that, you know, always gets overlooked that I'm going to share with you in a moment as well. Uh, first off, the really awkward, weird way that Vince McMahon uh, dealt with the interview with Melanie Pillman, the widow of Brian Pillman. He had died a day before, you know, n- not even 48 hours before. And he's interviewing Melanie Pillman on Raw. And it was so goddamn awkward. You know, I know over the years when people talk about awkward moments on Raw, we think of Katie Vick and we think of, you know, for some people, HLA was a little bit uncomfortable. You watch it with your parents or with your loved one, you know, you might feel a little uncomfortable. But this interview with Melanie Pillman, it's got to be in the top five of the most awkward moments in Raw's history. And you never, ever hear it brought up. And in case you have never, ever heard it before, Here is, again, less than 48 hours after Brian Pillman died. Here is the interview that Vince had with Melanie Pillman on Monday Night Raw. Joining us now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, in suburban Cincinnati, uh, the wife of Brian Pillman, Melanie Pillman. Melanie, thank you so much. I'm sure you're distraught, shocked, dismayed over this, this news. And we thank you very much for 
for joining us tonight. I wonder, there's a great deal of speculation, obviously, uh, when a 35-year-old man who is in competitive condition passes away. Can you please tell us to end whatever speculation there may be? Can you, what can you tell us about what you have been told uh, as far as Brian's death is concerned? Um, well, um, apparently there was a uh, problem with his heart and uh, apparently his heart was put under a lot of stress for some reason and um, I can't really uh, you know tell you for sure what that reason was but it was apparent heart attack in his sleep and until uh, um, the tests all were back uh, it, it's kind of inconclusive right now but um, um, apparently um, his, his heart was under a lot of stress it was there was um, some speculation last night when we spoke uh, um, Brian because of his injuries has had to take a great deal of prescribed medicine there's some speculation that he may have taken too much if in fact that is proven to be the case which it is yet to be is there anything that you would want to say to aspiring athletes who do get hurt and have to resort to prescribed medication painkillers well Vince I you know I can't comment on whether that you know I know that my husband well, not only was he an athlete, but he was involved in a car accident too, and he had extensive injuries from that. And, yes. Um, and uh, and then went, after the accident, it was a lot harder for him. But um, I think all athletes, to a degree, um, experience the, a reliance on pain medicine. And um, you know, I knew it was just a matter of time before um, it happened to someone. And um, fortunately, it it was my husband. And um, I just want everyone to know that. Um, I hope it's a wake-up call to some, some of you because um, it could be your husband next or it could be you and, you know, you don't want to leave behind a bunch of orphans and like my husband did. Melanie, how, uh, how are the children taking um, this news and, and do they understand? Well, um, a four-year-old doesn't understand. That's little Brian. Um, he doesn't understand why daddy's not coming home. But um, Brittany understands because uh, she's my adopted child and she's, she's the um, biological child of my husband and another woman and that woman killed herself two years ago. So Brittany's uh, lost her mom and, and her dad biological. And uh, you know, she just screamed for about 15 minutes. And um, I, I don't know Vince, it's hard. Have you this had? It's really hard. But have I'm you, doing. Have you had any opportunity to think about what you now, as a single parent, will do to support your five children? Vince, I don't even uh, really know what day it is, you know. So uh, I don't um, know what I'm going to do. Um, but I know that the outpouring of support that I've gotten from the fans and from the company um, is helping me go on. I mean, just everyone's calling and everyone's the fans and on the internet and um, people are just supporting me all around and, and uh, but um, as far as what I'll do after this is over, I don't know. I don't even know, Vince. I don't know. Is, um, how, how would you like for Brian to be remembered by WWF fans and fans all over the world? 
Vince, I would like Brian to be remembered as just one of the most compassionate and loving men ever and uh, the greatest father in the world, the best father in the world. And um, he also loved his business, Vince, and um, I guess you could say he lived for this business and he died for this business. And I hope no one else has to die. Melanie, we thank you very much for joining us tonight. And yeah, thanks. on behalf of the WWF and its fans and its superstars, you have our heartfelt condolences. Thank you again. Thank you, Vince. Now, on a more positive note, this same episode of Monday Night Raw was the beginning of a new segment that Jim Cornette was doing for a brief time, you know, during this era, but they were awesome. Because you had nobody that was cutting promos and quote-unquote shooting like they were doing on TV. Look, you would have Paul Heyman and ECW. You'd have wrestlers cut little promos here and there, challenging people from WCW and WWF. You had Steve Austin cutting his promos in 95. But what Jim Cornette decided to do in WWF uh, with these little shoot comments, these were awesome. I fucking marked out big time for this. And, and, and I was never a really big fan of Jim Cornette, but these were great. So in case you have never heard this, which would shock the shit out of me, here is from this week in 1997, the same episode of Raw, Jim, uh, Jim Cornette cutting the first of many of these little shoot promos. This is Jim Cornette, and the views that I'm about to express are not necessarily those of anybody else but me, but they ought to be, and as a matter of fact, they probably are. You know, a lot of things in the wrestling world make me cranky these days, especially the way that some talent is treated and some talent is looked at by not only the promoters, but the wrestling fans as well. For example, a man like Arn Anderson, who just had to retire from this sport after giving it his entire life because of an injury that he suffered. A guy like Nature Boy Ric Flair, who in my opinion is one of the greatest talents in the history of this business. Guys like Mankind, Cactus Jack, Dude Love, whatever you want to call him, great talents in the WWF or WCW. But who gets a lot of the attention? From the wrestling fans especially, guys like the NWO, the New World Order. You know, all the fans think these guys are so cool and so sweet and so funny. Well, as far as I'm concerned, the NWO is like a bunch of guys meeting out in the backyard in a clubhouse in a tree. They're guys who all they have to, they got the easiest job in the world. All they have to do is go out there and be themselves. Childish, obnoxious, adolescent guys with a case of severe arrested emotional development and a fixation on trying to act macho. You got a guy like Kevin Nash, 40 years old, trying to act like a teenager. Far as I'm concerned, the biggest no talent in the business. He's got six moves, no mobility, and enough timing to come up, cover up for some of it. But what he does is he goes around and he manipulates. Kevin Nash had a multi-million dollar promotional company, the WWF, push him to the moon to make him a star, and then what does he do? He leaves, after he gives his word to stay in, so by the way, he's a liar too, he leaves and he goes to WCW for a big contract. Why? More on that later. You got a guy like Scott Hall, who's a good wrestler, but good's about it. He's the best of the bunch, but he had the same million dollar promotional company make him a star after he'd been in this business 10 years without putting three asses in a seat, and what does he do? He goes to WCW for a big contract. Why? More on that later. And then you got a guy, what? Six, one, two, three, kid. His name's Sean Ma Waltman, whatever you want to call him. 
Well, as far as I'm concerned, the only reason that he's employed is because the other guys think that he's funny when he gets drunk and throws up on himself. He has the distinction, in case you haven't noticed, of being the only guy since this wrestling war got started that was released from a valid contract from one company to go to the other side, which shows you how valuable he is. You know why they're all employed, why they're all in the spot they are today? Because of Eric Bischoff, the boss of WCW, not the NWO. Look at the credits on their pay-per-view if you can get one for free. The idiot's name is on it. He's the boss of WCW. He works for Ted Turner, and he throws a billionaire's money around just like water so that he can have guys that he likes to hang out with. Because even more than being a mark, yeah, for his own face and his own voice, Eric Bischoff is a guy who's a big fan of hanging around studly guys with long hair and beards that smoke cigars and ride Harleys so that some of that can rub off on his little pansy-ass frame. So he takes that billionaire's money and he throws it around like water to buy guys that he can hang around with to prove that his Johnson is bigger than everybody else's. And that's the sole reason that the NWO guys are employed. I think, me personally, that it's about time that the wrestling fans and the promoters, all of them in this business, started recognizing guys like Nature Boy Ric Flair, like Arn Anderson, like Cactus Jack, guys who bust their ass, who work hard and have ability and have talent to get where they are instead of a bunch of guys that get to their spot by hanging around with the boss and sucking up. I'm Jim Cornette, and that's my opinion. And wrapping up 1997, got to share this with you as well. Um, Farouk. Cut an innocent little promo on Steve Austin. Steve Austin was talking about getting an opportunity again for the Intercontinental title because Owen Hart had originally injured him, which would knock him out of action. So we have Austin trying to put himself back into the title picture when he's ready to compete. And right after Steve Austin cut his promo, he was interrupted by Farouk. And, you know, Farouk's promo never ever gets brought up, but I fucking thought it was great. The funny thing about it is at one point you hear Farouk talking about bald men with tattoos. And as he's doing this, right to his, well, his right is fucking Papa Shango, Godfather. And he was bald. He had tattoos. And it was just pretty funny just focusing on his face as Farouk cut this promo. So here's a little promo that, you know, always gets overlooked from Raw this week, 1997. Let me tell you what the bottom line is. And I'm going to kick your hook ass. You think these are because you parade around with a bald head and tattoos on each arm that makes you tough? Well, let me tell you what makes you tough. Tough is waking up on a winter's morning, having to fight your brothers for one jacket to see who wears it to school. Tough is having to eat collard greens with your hand because you don't have a fork to go around. Let me tell you what tough really is. Getting up on a bright Christmas morning, watching your younger siblings cry because they don't have brand new bicycles to ride around on like everyone else. Yo, you parade around here and use the word ass and think you're a big man. That makes you tough. No, let me tell you where I'm from. And when we use the word ass, what the context is. You stuck your business in your nose and nation business. And let me tell you something, Punk. The way we use the word ass is that your ass belongs to me and the nation. That's so right. get it ready, sit on it, look at it all you can right now. Because the bottom line is, it belongs to Farouk. 1998. Got more clips for you. Very, very important moments in wrestling history. Arguably the two of the top five all-time moments in Raw's history. Remember last week's episode that we covered? You know, we had Austin coming out with the Zamboni, beating up Vince McMahon. 
So because Undertaker and Kane did not prevent Steve Austin from uh, beating up Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon said that they didn't keep up with their end of the bargain. I'm not going to keep up mine. And then they beat up Vince McMahon, quote unquote, severely injured his leg. So now we're one week later and Vince McMahon is in the hospital. Vince McMahon wants no visitors. And what I loved about this clip is that every time Vince got angry, you would hear in the background, you know, the machine that's monitoring his heart rate and it would just gradually start increasing in beats. It would be beep, beep, beep. And then he'd get pissed off. Beep, 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 beep. It was just, I, that's what I loved back then. The freaking attention to detail. So important. You know, it just, that's one of the things that is so lacking in wrestling these days. Little subtle attentions to detail. I can't tell you how important that is for believability, suspension of disbelief, and just real thorough creativity. And it was this week in 1998, while Vince is in the hospital, he gets a visitor by Mick Foley. Mick Foley brings in the fucking clown. I don't remember her name, Lisa the Clown, whatever it is. And she's fucking making balloon animals. And Mick Foley gives Vince a little box of chocolate with some chocolate missing. And Vince just doesn't want have any visitors. But while Mick Foley is talking to Vince, Mick Foley decides he wants to cheer up Vince by introducing us to a puppet. Put a sock on his hand, took a magic marker, drew a face on it, and he created Mr. Socko. Now, look, over the years, before Mick Foley ever came out with Mr. Socko, there were other uh, shows or, you know, skits on other TV programs that would have a sock called Mr. Socko. All right. He didn't come up with the original name, Mr. Socko. There's even an episode of Beavis and Butthead where they're doing, I think, uh, a walkathon, and it's for like some Christian organization. And at the very beginning, the guy that organizes the whole walkathon, he's got a sock on his hand, and it's Mr. Socko. And he's like, All right, everybody, let's start walking. So, Mr. Socko wasn't original by Mick Foley. But there's no denying that Mick Foley's Mr. Sacco is the most successful, most famous one of them all. So here you go. Flashback to 1998. Mick Foley trying to cheer up Vince introduces us to Mr. Sacco. And you know what? Since we're still on this whole segment with Vince in the hospital, I'll throw in here as well what transpired with Steve Austin. After Steve Austin obviously would ultimately show up and uh, hit Vince with the bedpan and he fucking hits him in the chest with that thing that's supposed to like try to revive you, shoves the fucking stethoscope up Vince's ass. And, you know, a lot of people forget that the night before on Sunday Night Heat, they did a couple of skits as well where Vince was in the hospital and Steve Austin showed up at the production truck, had an axe, cut the wires, disconnected the power so nobody could see, you know, what was happening to Vince. So there was a lot of things going on. So here's that segment from back in 98. And I think now, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to go uh, to Mr. McMahon's room. If we have a visitor. A really, a really big fella wants to come see you. I don't want any visitors. Just my family. I told you. 
Just my immediate no. family. I don't I want know. any visitors. Uh -oh. He's really big, and he's threatening the staff. He uh -oh. threatened one of the orderlies. I don't want any damn visitors! I don't want any visitors! Turn that frown upside down! Vince, it's me! How did you find me? I saw what happened. I felt really bad, so I brought you some presents. Take a hold of these. <laughs> Aren't they colorful? And some candy. I know that, that you like the that sweet stuff. Vinny's got a sweet tooth. Come on, come on, open them up. This is great. This is great. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I'm, you know I'm in a lot of pain. I know you're in a lot of pain. That's why I brought you these. Those things are delicious. And I'll tell you what, I brought another guest here who really wants to see you bad. Look at... You brought what? <laughs> I brought another guest for you. Someone who really wants to see you bad. What? You brought him. No, no, no. It's not a him, it's a she. It's a she. I brought you some female entertainment, and I think you know what I mean. She does a trick with a dog that you won't believe. Vince McMahon, say hello no. to your ball. Hey, Vinny, how you doing? I came to make you feel better, Vinny. I sure did. Here's a rainbow for you so that you know that there are brighter days ahead. And I'm here to spread nothing but smiles, so I have this wonderful sticker for you. Mighty bad, so he's gonna give your boo boo a hey, big nurse. kiss. <laughs> You're gonna what? Hey, hey, ah! No, Mick, please, please, just Mr. leave. Sucko. Please leave, please. Damn it, leave. And take this crap with you. Take it out. Take it all out. Get out! Mr. Sucko. We're back on the War Zone, everybody. Thanks for being with us here tonight. And uh, we're going to go to Mr. McMahon here momentarily to, to get some comments from the owner of the WWF. And it doesn't look like we're quite ready for that uh, that statement. Oh, my gosh, he's having his blood pressure check. Oh, well, folks, that's, well, that, well, that's being uh, taken care of. Let's take you back to last week here in the War Zone. Who will ever, ever forget Stone Cold Steve Austin commandeering the Zamboni and then destroying property, destroying production equipment and lights. He cut our audio cable. I'm telling you, not only that, he risked people's lives. Look at this moronic idiot. Have you ever seen such a thing in your life, JR? The Zamboni rammed into the ring and then watch him. Look at this. Austin was not intimidated by the security, oh. by the police. He leaped over their heads and got right in Vince McMahon's face. It was Austin who would repay Vince McMahon for getting screwed out of the WWF title. Don't ever say that Austin screwed Austin, but finally the police did their job. And yeah, yeah, do not pass go. Don't go directly to jail, Steve Austin. I agree Austin. with you, Vince. I agree with you, not yet by a long shot. Yeah, but he got locked up. Austin was uh, incarcerated for the evening. Was a bail himself out on his own recognizance later in the night. But uh, Mr. McMahon, who was warned by The Undertaker and Kane to, to mind his decorum, was caught. 
Mr. McMahon was caught, and he paid oh. one hell of a price at the hand of The Undertaker and Kane. Yeah, the two, the two ingrates that McMahon had hired to be his bodyguards. Look what they wound up doing to him. I can't watch this, JR. This is worse than, than my friend Joe Theismann and LT. Oh, look at this. Oh. His leg is mangled. I mean, it's all compound fractures. Mr. McMahon's lower leg completely shattered at the hands of the Phenom and the Big Red Machine. And, and maybe we're ready now for that interview. Oh, he's still in a lot of pain. Is that the head nurse? Vince, can you hear us? Who does it take this thing? Guess Just a not. Couple more seconds. And we're on ignore. Last time it was normal. We're going to find it's normal this time. We'll see. Every time you've taken it, you've found that it's normal. Every single time. Yes, Mr. McMahon, it'll be all right. Almost done. I can't wait to get out of here. There. Is it normal? Yes, it looks real good. Yeah, looks real good. Looks just fine to me. How about you, doctor? Oh, I'll take it from here, nurse. Get your stripper support system off, huh? Get How about your foot? Get your foot! Get your foot! Get Get up! 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 Another little storyline that's overlooked as well, and it's sad because obviously the the death of Owen Hart didn't happen too far after this. But you know, Owen Hart had pile drove Steve Austin and injured his neck. So they decided to take the storyline a little bit further. Owen Hart would hit the pile driver on Dan Severn. And they played off that Dan Severn severely injured his neck, took him out on a stretcher. And here's a little bit of trivia. No bullshit. And I, God rest his soul, Georgian Macropolis. Um, if anybody ever interviews Dan Severn or actually brings this up to him, he will tell you this. I don't know if he's ever said it in interviews, but I guarantee you he will confirm this. But when he got pulled out on a stretcher, after the Owen Hart pile driver, because the injury to Austin was legit, there were so many fans that believed that Dan Severn's injury was legit. He got pounded with emails and get well wishes. And I remember Georgianne saying to me, like, my God, fucking Dan Severn is going out of his mind. He's getting all these fucking get well wishes. I mean, he appreciated them, but he couldn't believe how many fans really thought that he got seriously injured from that pile driver. So now this week in 98, after what happened to Dan Severn, Owen Hart comes out, cuts the following promo, basically saying that, you know, teasing that he's quitting WWE. 
WWF. Now, obviously, we know he would come back as the Blue Blazer, and unfortunately, we had the tragic passing. But the storyline of him transitioning into Blue Blazer, to me, really started this week in 98. in it, and consequently, Edge with, or, or X-Pac with an easy victory, but what's, what's this kid going to say? I've been in the wrestling business for 13 years now, and the wrestling business has been my whole life, but last week, after I did what I did to Dan Severn and I looked into his eyes I saw my wife and my two children I never really meant for anyone to ever get hurt and I am so sorry for what I did Obviously, Owen Hart is too upset to compete here tonight. Oh, come on, too upset. What happened to the Owen Hart I used to know? The Owen Hart of old who didn't, didn't care who he hurt, didn't care what happened to his opponents. He's going soft on us. Well, maybe he's just proving he's got a conscience. Well, what's he want to be, another Canadian hero or something? Give me a break. The wuss! Get back here and fight! 1999. Talked about this recently, one of the episodes not too long ago. You know, Lenny Lane became the Cruiserweight Champion, WCW. But management, uh, Time Warner, were under a lot of pressure. They did not like Lenny Lane's gay character. And at that time, you know, it, it wasn't like it is now. There was so much pressure on WCW that they had to not only take the title off of Lenny Lane. They didn't even wait until an episode of Nitro or Thunder to do it. They did a phantom title change and gave the belt to Psychosis. And what's even more ridiculous about it is on an episode of Nitro this week in 99, Psychosis, who we learned all of a sudden defeated Lenny Lane somewhere in a phantom title change, Disco Inferno defeats Psychosis for the fucking title. So it was just a, a mess at that time. Um, more, you know, positive note, this same episode of Nitro in 99, This Week in History, Bret Hart and Chris Benoit uh, wrestled their tribute match to Owen Hart. Now, Owen, Owen Hart died in May 
of 99. But Bret Hart obviously didn't fucking start wrestling the next week. He took time off. And he came back and he had the tribute match with Chris Benoit this week in 1999. Uh, also this week in 99, WWF had their UK pay-per-view rebellion. This was the last ever event that Vince Russo uh, booked for WWF. I mentioned a little bit of this last week, but it was this week official that Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara basically left WWE. I don't want to say they walked out. Their contract expired. But um, without notice, they basically told Vince McMahon and WWF that they were going to WCW, and they signed immediately. Um, they resigned from the WWF two days before. Two days later, they were signed with WCW. Um, WWF at the time actually posted a message on their website and announcing their departure. And they said, very simply, and I quote, effective Sunday, October 3rd, Vince Russo, one of the creative writers, would no longer be with the World Wrestling Federation. Russo abruptly resigned over the phone and will now be working for WCW. Um, plain and simple. So they were out of there. Um, two other things that happened this week in 99. Unfortunately, it is the anniversary of Draz having the match with D'Lo Brown in Long Island, New York. And because of the way that Draz had uh, landed on a power bomb, he um, fractured two discs in his neck. He's been paralyzed ever since. You know, if you look into a little bit of the surgeries that Draz went through at the time, um, you know, he was given steroid medications and a few other things uh, because there was a, a member of the New York Jets. I know a lot of people locally will remember him, Dennis Bird. And he actually regained the use of his legs. There was a gymnast from China, Sang Lang, who was paralyzed, um, you know, spinal cord injury as well. And uh, they were trying to do everything possible for Draz. They actually even took a piece of his pelvis and put it in his spinal cord to replace the injured disc. Did not work. So Draz, you know, thank God he's still with us, but, you know, never regained the use of his legs. So, and wrapping up 1999, just a really awkward moment on ECW TV. You know, it, it, ECW obviously is my favorite promotion of all time. You know, really cutting edge, you know, suspension of disbelief was really, really clouded. And they would also do, you know, a nice little part of reality in some of their storylines. But it was this week in 99 where, to me, no, you know, maybe pun intended, they just got way too raw. Sonny, who is now gone from the WWF, is now in ECW. And Paul Heyman decided to do an interview with Sonny on ECW. And the interview was basically supposed to show us the real human raw side of Tammy and some of the problems that she had gone through with drugs and a few other things. And she also reminisced on the death of a very close friend of hers, Louis Piccoli. And the interview, I remember at the time doing a hotline and getting message after message after message after message of big time hardcore ECW fans that called my hotline that just totally, totally shit on this segment. They thought it was just wrong they thought it was not necessary. It, it was controversial without a doubt, but don't understand what the purpose was. If you wanted to give 
Tammy a little bit of a human side or look at how she was used weeks after this. You know what I mean? Like, you know, fans loved her because she was sunny. They're going to love her anyway. But it just, I don't know what the purpose was for this segment. But uh, here you go. This week in 1999, Tammy Sitch, Sonny, interviewed by Paul Heyman on ECW. In 1994, legendary professional wrestling manager Jim Cornette introduced the world to Tammy Lynn Sitch in the now defunct Smoky Mountain Wrestling promotion in Knoxville, Tennessee. We felt like we were really cool. We felt on top of the world at that moment. The very next year, Tammy received her big break. She was summoned to the World Wrestling Federation, where she adopted the persona of Sonny and was overwhelmed by the bizarre world of fame and adulation. There's a site on the internet, Tammy's Feet. It's all pictures of, like, where you can see my bare feet dedicated to my feet and my toes. So what do you think? Is this worth an internet site? Trust me, there are better parts of me to look at. Although I do like my feet pretty much. But for Tammy, the price of fame was way too high because the pressure of being wrestling's hottest sex symbol was too much for her to handle. Well, there are many different reactions in my life to the pressure that was put on me. I would have to say prescription drug abuse. And most problems would be a muscle relaxer named Soma. I would say it's pretty widespread amongst um, a lot of athletes in the in the business. I really do because uh, uh, there are there are sometimes you can go into anybody's locker room and people are could be there passing them out if you want them. How dangerous is Soma? Uh. Very. Um, good friend of ours died from mixing that with alcohol. Tell me about it. Well, his name is Luis Picoli. And uh, he had a fun night out in L.A. one night with his friends, drinking and taking his pill. Went back to his house, fell asleep, never woke up. Well, he did wake up once. It was 6 o'clock in the morning, turned off his answering machine, and then he choked it to death uh, because he couldn't get up out of bed. Because uh, if you take enough of those things, you can be pretty much almost just like uh, paralyzed. And uh, that was pretty rough. But we lost him. I was, I was considered old by any, you know, 1997, and I was only 24 years old. And I was called the click chick because I. They were friendly to me. I was friendly to them. I would make their, like, hotel reservations. But I prefer to be pushed on my own talent instead of who I am friends with, who I am dating, who I am sleeping with, who I eat dinner with. I would, be for, I would prefer to be myself and be pushed as what I do and how I can do it. When I first left the World Wrestling Federation, it was like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. I could relax, I could have a home, I could, you know, do everything I want to do, but I didn't, I, I didn't see myself taking advantage of that yet. I saw myself just digging a hole deeper for myself. 
I took it too much advantage of uh, being able to sit home and not do anything and you know I felt too relaxed in my environment um, too relaxed to the point where I finally did take my first drink my first drink was at home when there were no more pills to make you go to sleep there have been times when my, when my, when my dad died I would want to go with him when my niece died I wanted to be there with her too Stacy she died when she was 16 I was in the hospital and she was on life support and I was holding her hand and she, she died and she went cold in my hands I didn't want to let her go I couldn't let her go and there were some nights that I was hoping I wouldn't wake up next morning. Tell me about it. Describe that feeling. The worst feeling in the world. Worst feeling in the world. To know that you don't care if you wake up in the next morning or not. You can talk about your Sables. You can talk about your Debras. You've got your Nitro Girls. You've got your Dom Marie's. But I'm going to set the standard by which every girl in this business is judged. Again. Because girls, I'm alive. <laughs> and I'm back. <laughs> 2000, Monday Nitro, Booker T wins the WCW heavyweight title, which was vacated by Vince Russo. He defeated Jeff Jarrett to retain the title. And a lot of people forget what the match was. It was a San Francisco 49ers match. It's just wrestle crap history. I mean, if you have the opportunity to watch the match, just watch the match. They got boxes in each corner. And inside the boxes were, you know, one of them had a title and the other had various things and um basically jeff jarrett and booker t are battling out trying to win the title that vince russo vacated and um this is the infamous moment i'm sure you've all seen it throughout the years that booker t opens up one of the boxes and inside it is i don't know like a 13 by 16 framed photo of scott hall the look on booker t's face is priceless it is in wrestle crap lore i'm sure everybody has seen that photo by now it happened during this match some of the stuff in the other boxes were just flat out stupid and I, and i'm gonna play the match for you i originally was gonna edit it down a little bit but it's so ridiculous and it's so hokey in a lot of ways, especially at the end with Beetlejuice. Remember last week, Jeff Jarrett knocked out Beetlejuice with the chair? Well, Beetlejuice actually gets involved at the end of this match. He repeatedly punches Jeff Jarrett in the nuts. And it was just ridiculously f funny and stupid. And after the match is over, Scott Steiner puts Beetlejuice in a Steiner recliner. And, you know, just... It was just horrible. It really was. I mean, the, the the Scott Hall picture was funny, but everything else was beyond horrendous. And that's why everybody looks back in this match with fond memories because of the wrestle crap element to it. This week in 2000. Well, how do you
do you prepare for something like this? I mean, what do you do? Obviously, you got to incapacitate your opponent to be able to search through a box. And through then, more than one, maybe. That's right. Then it's a crapshoot as to what's going to be in the box you open. It could be your own mic. San Francisco 49ers. Not the football team, but the great goal rush. No, no, it's the 49ers football team match. In fact, I think this match is already over the salary cap. Came to blows, and meanwhile the bell sounds, and we're off and running. What a bizarre, unpredictable WCW title match. But the fact is, guys, neither man is the world champion. But one man will become the champion here. Who will it be going in to Halloween Havoc in 27 days? What we're seeing is power run him up. Drunk with power, Mike Sanders, currying favor with Vince Russo. Coming up with the San Francisco 49ers matchup. Hey, that's what they said about Nixon. This is not about submissions. It's not about pinfalls. It's about opening the right box, and a box has already taken a double. It's already fallen down after Jeff Jarrett hit the ring post. That time. What's in that one? That could be a weapon in itself. Let's see. Oh, Somebody switched the rocket. Somebody grab that for me. On the match goes. Well, we know that it's not in that one. And thank God that was the first box that's been thrown away. Now three boxes remain. A back elbow. Jeff Jared goes down hard. This is not about pinfalls. It's not about submission. It's not about endurance. It's about finding the right box. Oh, it's about blow-up dolls. Well, it was momentarily. I didn't know Kimberly had an action figure. Oh, boy. You have to Booker T and Jeff Jarrett. Now, Booker T, I think Booker T's making a mistake here. He's got Jeff Jarrett softened up. He looks like he's going for a oh. pinfall, softening for that. Get the box. Get the goal. Now, his head's back in the game. He put him down, which is what he got to do. Keep the man down. And now he goes for the Bucks. We've got another box. What's in it? What it? Is it What's pulling out? What on, what on earth? What is that? A picture oh, of yeah. Scott Hall. Yeah! Hey, yo! Boy, he did rig your luggage. Boy, if this match landed to Kevin Nash, it won't. Oh, is that going to hurt? That is going to leave a mark. Is Scott Hall would want that to happen? I think he may want that to happen. It cracked the skull of Jack. And it could be what Booker T needs to keep him down. Two, four, boxes remain. I think Scott Hall fights Robert Downey Jr. in the paper. Booker T. Jeff Jarrett. Hey, they're both clean and sober now. Jeff Jarrett on the floor. Booker T going for the third box. Where is the world title belt? If it's in that box, Booker T will win it. Oh. Maybe Jeff Jarrett. If Jeff Jarrett can get to the box first. The San Francisco 49er world title matchup. And maybe there's Ray Cerrone in one of the boxes. It is the San Francisco oh, team. Yes, I know. Oh, wait a minute, Why not, why not oh, use the, the box? box. Yeah. Oh, not, a, not a bad idea at all. The box itself is a weapon, Jeff Jarrett. He's taking up boxing. Get the box! 
Jeff, don't, Jeff, get the box. Jeff, come on. I want to tell you what we got here is a fight that's broken out of control. You got to get a box. Get the, Jeff, get Jeff. the box. I'm not telling you to get the box. I'm saying, if you, well, never mind. Oh. Get the box, Booker! Oh, Booker D could just stroll in and get the box. Jeff, get up. Are you all right? This could be all over right oh, now. Poor Jeff. As Jared tries to Wait, regroup. Give me, give me some water for Jeff. Pick, oh, shut up. Pick up his pieces. He's got his own water. Jeff Jerry is okay. out here at the announced position. Booker T going for box number three. He's got an even money shot to become the world champion right now. If it's in there, it's over. It's, what is that? What is that? A set of gloves? It's a coal miner's glove. Oh, yeah. You thought it was dead before, Jeff. Booker's got a coal miner's glove. Very appropriate in a 49ers match. And I want to tell you, if he knocks him out with it, it's all over because we now know where the belt is. It's on the final pole. It's in the final box. And that one is in the near left corner, which is opposite to where Booker is right now. Oh, no, again. Jarrett. Booker should have stopped that glove in his truck. Now, Jeff Jarrett, you know, it's been Booker the man climbing. Booker's been the man going after the boxes. Jarrett now trying to wrestle that coal miner's glove away from Booker any day. He got it. Twice now, yeah, Booker Jeff. T has been to the pole top to get the box, and he's come away pretty much empty-handed now, Jeff Jarrett, with the loaded hand with the coal miner's glove. If he can rock him on the forehead and knock him out. Come on, Jeff, do a little dance. Make a little glove. Body shot that time in the chest, in the sternum. Could have cut the sternum. He's wasting time. He's been knocked goofy by Booker T on this announce table. There goes Jeff again, and there goes Booker once again. It's obvious upper left hand corner of your screen. Rest the WCW title belt. But who's going to be the champion? Is it going to be Jeff Jarrett? Is it going to be Booker T? Using the box, Jeff Jarrett has been very prolific with it tonight. Using the boxers as weapons. Jarrett just poised, waiting for Booker to get to his feet. Here he comes. Booker doesn't know where he is. Not a oh. That one wiped him out. And that should be it. Jarrett should be able now to easily get the belt. Jeff, get oh. the box now. But he's got to step across Booker to get it. Now he's going to walk around him now. There he is. There is no more mystery. We know this box contains was like a foot away from winning this thing. He has to break open the belt first out of the turnbuckle pad. Can Booker T regain the glory? Can Jeff Jarrett ruin the dream of the chosen one? Oh, what a wild night this has been. We thank you for being with us. Next week we're in Australia, but we got a lot going on here. We don't know who the world champion is yet. He's still partners. Partners just moments ago. Now they have coal miners' gloves. Blow up dolls. Pictures of 
Scott Hall, the world title on the line. The drama, you can cut it with a knife, Tony. Reluctant partners, what they were, Mark Madden, and now both men cannot muster up enough to get up and get the belt, get the box open, that you can see what athletes in the left, to the left of your screen there, there you see it. The, the psychological aspect, the mental aspect of this game is no longer. They know what the goal is and where it is. It's just getting there. That's all the battle. Booker T with a hit of steam, but Jeff Jarrett, not a bad move. Sleeper hold, put him out, and it will be very easy. And Booker T reaching for the rope. Mark out to the referee looking. Booker T, a long way to go. And Jeff Jarrett with a great wide vertical base with a lot of pressure and a lot of leverage on the head to back of Booker T. See, you never know. What if Book's bluffing? What if Jeff gets booked down? Right. Thinks he's at. Jeff climbs the top turnbuckle. Bingo, bango, bongo. Book suplexes him. Grabs the box himself. It would not be a bad strategy, Mark Madden. You're exactly right. That's what I'd do. But Booker T is fighting, and sometimes they say the more you fight, the worse it is. The fans chanting for Jeff Jarrett Scott Hudson. This is amazing. They certainly are not. It's the Booker T chant we hear in the Cow Palace But Booker T. Is he going? Tremendous counter move! Wow! wow. These two men know each other's every weakness and strength. These two men, it's another chapter in their war. The pace of this match is incredible between these two. It shows you how much each man wants the WCW title. And you heap on the fact that they wrestled for what, about 15, 17, 18 minutes in a tag team match about an hour ago, 45 minutes ago. Jarrett's up. He's got the glove again. He's going to the wrong corner. Well, wait a minute. I think he wants to make sure Booker T is down. The corner is the wrong corner. It's the near, it's the near side corner. But here's the final coup de grace before he goes for the box. Jared up. It was a last gas effort. It was everything he could muster. It was his heart. It was his soul. And now he's got to do it one more time to get up, to climb the turnbuckle pads, to reach to the box, to break through the wall, and grab the gold in this 49ers match and become the champion. You will not see two fighter tuned athletes than Booker T and Jeff Jarrett. Who's got the biggest heart? Who wants to be champion bad enough? What drama we are seeing here. Jared grabbed the leg, all he could muster to grab Booker T. What a fight of attrition this is. He's uh -oh. got a hook for the stroke. This, and Booker T fended off the stroke. Here it is. It is an axe kick. Oh. Spin a Rooney. Spin a Rooney. Shut up. Spin a Rooney. Nailed it. Bottom side kick. Jared's down. Now Jared ducked that. He didn't get all the Jared there. He got enough. Maybe it's all he needed. You're right, Scott. He got enough, and now he's going to climb up again. Reach for the box, open up. Oh. Jeff Jarrett's not done. There's that trap. Jeff Jarrett using the idea I spoke about. Play possum, bang, up from behind. The match is Jeff's to win now. 
After you use every ounce of strength that you have, you got to muster some more to climb up the turnbuckle. It hasn't been able to work. Jeff Jarrett falls on the outside, but I believe the front of that with the Booker T and the knee across. What is Jeff Jarrett trying to reach for something under the ring? What can he get that guitar? He's trying to grab a guitar. It looks like he's having trouble getting it out. Is it supposed to be stuck on a table or something under there? But Lord knows there's enough plunder under there. I don't know. Yeah, the guitar would not come out. Obviously, it looked like it was a guitar. The best laid plans of Jeff Jarrett. Give him credit. Overcoming that. Back in the ring. He knows he doesn't want to give Booker T the opportunity to get the belt like right now. It was a guitar that got him into this match. And oh! away with that one and now it looks like they're gonna go with the guitar again there's the guitar and the guitar is stuck on something see, see this is dumb jeff should just go get the box with the belt what the heck is did the guitar they look like, they look like the this guitar has come to life it's a rock and roll pinocchio it certainly is not jeff jerry it may have taken him out of his game that was his play He's got the, he's got the belt fell out, but now the only thing he's got to do is grab the man as he did. Something else that happened this week in 2000, later on in the week, WCW did a tour of Australia. And during that tour, a lot of people will remember this. Juventud Guerrero got arrested. He had an incident in the hotel lobby and everybody, you know, looks back on it, said that he took ecstasy. And the funny thing is, is that I met Hoovy in ECW, uh, excuse me, XPW, quite a few times. I, I picked him up from the airport myself on two different occasions. Actually hung out with a in a hotel room with him late at night where everybody else went party and he stood in the hotel room and just ordered food. Uh, somebody picked it up for him at the diner. This guy was quiet as a motherfucker. I mean, when he worked in XBW and he was doing the juice promos, they were hilarious. But, you know, from the, the times that I was around him, he was quiet as can be. So, you know, to think what happened this week of 2000, it just felt a little bit odd for Hoovy. But um, he stripped naked, was cursing out people. The police actually had to subdue him with some form of pepper spray. Um, it was just an absolute mess. He was charged with three counts of assault, disorderly conduct, obstructing police, 
And again, a lot of people to this day believe that uh, he was on ecstasy. Um, I remember talking to someone on my hotline who worked for WCW at the time. I don't want to reveal, reveal who that person was, but they also said that um, someone had wheeled Hooventude for a period of time naked in a, a shopping cart. I don't want to tell the whole story over here, but it was just an absolute mess. And as soon as he got back from the Australia tour, WCW sent him home. And uh, following his court re appearance, they released him. So, you know, and remember earlier this year, we did an episode of This Week in Wrestling History where he was arrested for DUI. Wasn't it in Pennsylvania? I think WCW may have had an event at some university and he was driving around. He got arrested and someone else did as well. And uh, I can't remember who it was right now. But yeah, Hoovy, uh, you know, had a couple of run-ins with the law. Maybe that's why by the time I met him in 2002, he was so quiet. And speaking of 2002, this week at that time, Ring of Honor had their Glory by Honor event in Philly. And, you know, the funny thing about it is when you read the results and you read some of these journalists who have been hardcore in the pocket of Ring of Honor since those days. You know, it's funny to see their recaps and talk about how Homicide won a four-team match by himself. And they claim that his partner, Boogaloo, uh, just went to work for XBW. You know, just walked out of Ring of Honor's promotion. That's what a few people have labeled it. And I've talked about this as well. I will never, ever forget being in Baldwin, Long Island with Slash, with Boogaloo. In, in the same room. And Boogaloo, very, very upset because him and what was, was it Lowrider? I think Boogaloo and Lowrider. They were working Ring of Honor at the time. And I don't know if both of them were married, but I know one, I believe, had a family. And all they were trying to do is just make some money and make a living. And Ring of Honor told Boogaloo, basically, if you work for XBW, you can no longer work for Ring of Honor. So no, Boogaloo did not walk out on Homicide. He did not walk out of Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor basically told their entire roster that if you go work for XBW, you're not welcome in Ring of Honor. And this was the time where XBW had finally invaded Philadelphia. Ring of Honor, Combat Zone Wrestling, um... Another promotion that's escaping me right now. I think it was, uh, oh, 3PW. They were doing everything possible to get XPW out of Philly. And on this event, they actually had CZW wrestlers show up at this Ring of Honor event. And they tried to like have a little alliance between Ring of Honor and CZW. And they also promoted an event where you could watch CZW, I think, earlier in the day and see Ring of Honor later on in the night. They tried so goddamn hard to get XBW out of Philly. And it was a shame because there were a lot of wrestlers that were just trying to earn a living. And, um, you know, I, I worked for them. I remember Brian XL. That might be a name some people remember. I remember driving him home one time in, um, in Queens, in Brooklyn it might have been, been. And uh, he just wanted to work. He just, a lot of them just wanted to wrestle and just, make money and get a little bit of, uh, you know, exposure. And there were feds that were basically telling him, you work for XPW, you can't work for anywhere else. It's fucked up. 2003, I opened up with part of it. We had a little skit that a lot of people may forget. Basically, Big Show and Eddie Guerrero were feuding with each other a little bit. And during this episode of SmackDown, 
Big Show is lacing up his boots and some Mexican guy shows up with a bag of burritos that are supposed to be for Eddie Guerrero. And this is basically how the segment started. Does it look like Eddie Guerrero's in here? I don't know. I just got a delivery for him. What kind of delivery? A lot of burritos. Burritos? Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow, look at all this. There's no way Eddie can eat all that. What kind of burritos you got here, man? You got beef burritos? That's a beef one. Think that's a beef one? You got it wrapped up tight enough. This is a thing going to Alaska or something. Help fight freezer burn. Oh, they won't make the freezer with me, I tell you that much. Mm. Mm, that's good. That's really good. That's perfect. Yeah. Won't you do me a favor? What's your name? Jose. Jose. Won't you do me a favor? I want you to make sure that Eddie Guerrero gets this burrito. You hear me? Okay. Show, put a little special sauce on this burrito. Special sauce? Okay, man. Vomitos. So now we believe that Big Show blew his nose on Eddie Guerrero's burrito, but we would learn just a few minutes later. Wow, that went through a Big Show system so quickly. It wasn't even, I think, 10 minutes. Big Show eat burritos. Then all of a sudden, he's in the bathroom doing this. Oh, 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 oh,
And we would learn that Eddie Guerrero actually tainted the burritos because he knew that Big Show would steal them and eat them, and Big Show ended up with a massive case of the runs. Okay. 2004. Carlito, Carlito, Carlito. He made his WWE main roster debut. And does anybody out there remember how he debuted on the main roster? You know, I think a lot of people forget how he made his debut. He actually wrestled John Cena and wrestled John Cena for the U.S. title. And this is the closing moments of that match. And look at Carlito now beginning to hammer away on the champion Cena. Yeah, Carlito now mounting up. Oh, nice swing and neck break it out by Carlito Caribbean Cool. And Carlito There's a cover. Here we go. New champion title on the line. And John Cena pulls the shoulder out of the can of two. And now Carlito with a left hand. Well, well, there's that, there's that vicious mean streak we've seen in this kid. We've seen in those, those videos building up to him. You know, what he, how he disrespects people in general. Well, we saw it earlier tonight when he disrespected, humiliated John Cena, delivering a DDT and then spitting the apple into the face of Cena. And the champion's reeling here. Careful, don't now talk about cockiness, as I said before the break, and confidence. This is one dude, this Carlito, you don't want, it seems to me, you don't want him to get his confidence up. He'll be deadly. High elbow to the jaw, John Cena. Now Carlito beginning to put a bit in the ring. the outside leg of the champion, and John Cena got the shoulder up again. Now Carlito in control here of John Cena. Now Carlito's got to try and stay on top. Of Cena. And you can sense some concern among the fans here. This crowd seems to be shocked at the way Carlito has turned this match around. Off the suplex by Carlito. Again into the cover. Again the shoulders down. And again John Cena has to kick out at a count of two. Those left hands, man. But notice how Carlito's wasting little time. I know, I know. For every kick out by Cena, he's back on the attack. Now what? I mean, for a rookie, look at this. Oh, man. Elvis over the top rope. Carlito again into the cover. Walks the left shoulders down, and he continues to wear down the champion well, with these constant pin covers. Him hopping over that top rope like he did. And look at this viciousness, viciousness here. But that was a really a big athletic move he did a moment ago. Not the clubby part in the back, but now trying to choke out Cena with this sleeper here. Remember, if John Cena taps out, if he passes out, the championship changes hands. Cena may be fading here, desperately trying to get out of the sleeper hole. You see his face turning a well, beat red. You gotta watch too, let me interrupt you, is that leg of Carlito over the body trying to get a, a leg in, and that's why you see John Cena trying to elevate Carlito's leg off him, and he did. Once you get your, you immobilize the man's upper body, his neck, and then you get your lower body in there, you're, you're completely shutting down his whole body, you get the victim, you're gonna tap out. Cena desperately trying to get out of this thing, but he seems to be fading. John Cena trying to make it back up. John Cena desperate. Look at Cena trying to, to, well, to grasp the rope, but he's in the middle of the ring. The United States, his newly won United States Championship's on the line here. Back to the midsection goes Carlito. Whoa, and look whoa, at this, whoa. John Cena counters. A backdrop for Cena. But did the slipper take everything out of the champion, or can the champion rebound here? Remains to be seen, maybe be the turning point of the match. Referee's up to three. Both men down, first man to his feet, would gain the momentum in this United States Championship matchup. Cena the champion, Carlito the challenger, Fleet Center in Boston, Massachusetts. 
John Cena to his feet, Carlito as well. Ooh. And there's a right hand by John Cena, the United States champion. And another one to the challenger, Carlito, in his debut on SmackDown. Cena, Cena now building some momentum here. Oh, nice. Here we go. Let's see. Carlito with the cross. Yeah. The High elbow by John Cena. Ooh. Ooh. up for the clothesline. The champion off the rope. Takes that Carlito. Close cover there, man. Cena thought he had Carlito. Whips him across the ring into the corner. Oh, watch John out, watch Cena. out, watch out! Bulldog face first. Cena now got Carlito right where he wants him. Taking that hand, you know what's coming, Cole. You can't see me. Now off the ropes. Time for a little five knuckle. Take it off the shoulder. Shuffle! Right hand connecting. Carlito's down and out. Here's the hook to the leg. Three, oh. Almost had him two and a half again. And again, this, this Carlito ever resilient in this match. Wow. Very impressed with Carlito, but Cena, the doctor, is pumping it up. John Cena in a zone, stalking, measuring his man. Carlito doesn't know where he is. Up to the shoulder. FU, 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 FU. Going for the FU. Carlito hanging on to the top rope desperately. John Cena trying to, trying to connect here. As long as Carlito heads over, look at this. Oh, I believe he's going to dump him. And, oh, and that's Carlito off the apron into the steps. Well, that was, I'll tell you what, that was smart by, well, the referee, well, that was smart by John Cena, referee preventing John Cena from going back out in the ring. At, oh, now what? Oh. But Carlito just grabbed the United States Championship. Where's he going? He's just stealing it? Carlito's got the United oh. States gold and he's bringing it into the ring. Oof. Now a right hand by John Cena. Carlito in trouble in the corner. John Cena. John Cena grabbing the title. Be careful, referee Brian Hebner trying to, trying to take it. Oh. John Cena with that gold in his hand and the referee desperately trying to prevent Cena from using that championship. Oh, John Cena will use it. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 Carlito's got whoa, that, whoa, Cena, whoa. that steel chain Cena carries around. Wait a minute. Carlito's got the steel chain. Cena has no idea. Oh. Right off the, the, the skull. The, the jaw. jaw. Here's the cover whoa. by Carlito. No way. No way. No. Carlito stole the title. Carlito That's stole the, the title. of people who don't want to be cool. Two thousand and five, WWE had their Raw Homecoming event for Dallas, Texas. Last week we talked about how Raw, after five years on Spike TV, we was going back to the USA Network. Well, this week they were back on the USA Network. Uh, people have claimed that this was the first ever three-hour episode of Monday Night Raw. I actually have to go check that out. Sounds like you would think sometime between 93 and 05, they had a three-hour episode. I'm not sure if that's actually true. I got to check that out. But 
people forget, not only did they have a three-hour episode of Raw, but after Raw was finished, they had a one-hour special celebrating Raw's history. And look, the, the card was fun that night, a lot of memories, but you know there was one point where it just got a little bit out of hand. Vince McMahon comes out, cuts a promo, showing some highlights of Raw from yesteryear, and most of them are him getting one up on Steve Austin. Steve Austin would come out, and he would exchange uh, promo with Vince McMahon, a lot of what chance. And of course, Steve Austin ultimately stuns Vince McMahon. This leads to Shane McMahon's music hitting. A lot of people were surprised Shane was there. As soon as Shane hits the ring, Steve Austin stuns him as well. So you just got a picture. Now you have Shane McMahon and Vince McMahon both unconscious on the mat from stunners. Unconscious. So right when we think we're going to commercial, Stephanie McMahon's music hits. Stephanie comes out there, starts berating Austin. Austin are having a little bit of verbal back and forth. And what happens? Steve Austin stuns Stephanie McMahon. Now, the reason why I'm not playing all of this is because this went on for like a half an hour. And the most ridiculous thing about it is as all this is happening, Vince McMahon is still unconscious. Shane McMahon is still unconscious. And now Stephanie McMahon is unconscious in the ring. And just when we thought that the segment was over, believe it or not, Linda McMahon's music hits. Can you guess how this ended up? Steve, what do you think you're doing? Look at this. Look at this havoc. This, this carnage in the ring is my family. I, I, I've spent the last two years bringing this family back together. And tonight, homecoming on USA Network. And with you, it's no different. I mean, I mean, my husband. Why my husband? Your husband's a piece of trash. Yeah. <laughs> but my son Shane. Your son's a chip off the old block. He's a piece of trash too. But my my precious daughter Stephanie. I gotta say that poor little Stephanie is a. Precious piece of trash. You know, they're all laid out in the ring, and, you know, they were causing a disturbance out here. We're here in Dallas, Texas. This is where I got my start. We're going to drink beer. We're going to raise hell. Monday Night Raw back on the USA Network. What else do you want me to do? I think... You owe the McMahon family an apology. An apology? Yes. You, you owe the McMahon family an apology. But why? I was just out here doing my job. They interfered. I gave him some stunners, one stunner, two stunners, three stunners. You want me to apologize for that? 
right. lady, I apologize. Oh. Thank you, Steve. You're welcome. But, uh, <laughs> while you're out here, I, uh, think we ought to leave these 16,000 people here, the millions watching around the world, a raw moment to remember. You and me all alone here in this big old ring. How about a, you know, good old fashioned, uh, a kiss on the cheek. And if you, if you don't mind, I'd like to leave my eyes open because you just knock the hell out of me when I close my eyes. What? Well, you know, when I really think about it, I think we ought to give these folks something to really remember. What do you say there, sweetheart? Uh-oh. Vince ain't looking. Oh. He's over taking a little cat nap, courtesy of a stutter. <laughs> Why don't uh, you and me cut through the chase? And drink a damn beer. Give what? me some beer. Come on. I thought All they right. were going to get real raw there for a minute. Cold beer for a beautiful lady. You like beer, don't you? I love beer. I love vodka, tequila, whiskey, wine. Hell, I love any damn thing you can throw at me, so uh, here's to you. Brandon McMahon. Don't stop here, I got plenty of beer. Come on, keep drinking. <laughs> Give me some more beer. Uh-oh. Oh, no. There you go. I've had a champ. Bottoms up. All's well and ends well. Hey, 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 hey. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. CEO of War Wrestling Entertainment, a classy woman, Linda McMahon. You got a beer bag. Yeah, classy woman. And I forgot to say, thank you.
2006, WWE has their No Mercy pay-per-view from Raleigh, North Carolina. And this event had the debut of MVP. And in his debut match, he defeated Marty Garner. 2007, John Cena, who was the WWE champion at the time, would end up having to surrender the title. He got diagnosed with a torn right pectoral muscle. And this ended his 380-day run as WWE champion. And originally, he was supposed to be out six to eight months, but he surprised us all, returning at the Royal Rumble 2008. And I still say it to this day. It's just strange because I remember being in my house with a couple of indie wrestlers, a couple of valets, and we're all watching the Royal Rumble from my house. And everybody popped when John Cena made his surprise return. Listen to the crowd reaction. I mean, I know John Cena's got his share of booze, record share of booze for, you know, when you think of the prolonged time over years. Just listen to the pop when this guy returned at the Royal Rumble in 2008. It was just in fucking sane. Also 2007, Hulk Hogan signs a deal with NBC to become the host of the reboot of American Gladiators. Same week, 2007, unfortunately, Kurt Angle was arrested in Pennsylvania on a DUI charge. Um, you know, they would, somebody had reported to the cops that there was a vehicle on the road driving very erratically. It ended up being Kurt Angle's vehicle. Kurt Angle actually was, was home. He drove home. Cops showed up at Kurt Angle's house. He denied that he was drinking and driving. Even though they smelled alcohol, he said he was drinking from home. He refused to take a sobriety test, refused a blood test, and he was charged with driving under the influence. Charges ultimately were dropped because people said the original witness did not uh, show up for the case. I don't know why, you know, the, the cops, it wasn't good. But then again, he refused the test. But, you know, remember those times when Kurt Angle was in court? He was denied, 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 denied that it was a vendetta because he was a celebrity. So happy that he cleaned up his act. So fucking happy, believe me. And I know a lot of you out there as well. Uh, something else happened this week in 2007. An incident, an OVW, between CM Punk and Tony Atlas. Now, I got a little four-minute audio clip here of Tony Atlas explaining what transpired at that time, but I'll set up this picture a little bit more. You had a lot of young wrestlers in OVW at the time, the farm system for WWE, and some of the wrestlers, I guess, you know, had a little bit of bad attitudes and stuff like that. So Vince McMahon sent Tony Atlas to OVW to scout these guys and gals and give, you know, their his critique and opinions and basically try to straighten some of them out. And one person there that I guess didn't give a shit that Tony Atlas was there was CM Punk. And it led to an exchange of words and... You know, Tony Atlas has been very diplomatic about this as the years go by and things ultimately were squashed. I don't think CM Punk has ever really talked about this all that much. I could be wrong, but I didn't find any clips online. But here's Tony Atlas in his words, his version of what transpired between him and CM Punk. Vince called me up. I hadn't been with the office for years. And Vince told me to go down there and talk to the kids about respect. And, and, you know, things you need to do, all the do's and don'ts of wrestling, because primarily what I would tell the guys, what, just like, just like if I work for Jane, primarily, I'm representing him, he brought me in. So whatever I do, don't just affect me. 
it affect the company. Because people, they're going to say, well, Tony Atlas screwed up. They're going to say, well, them wrestlers. We had a WWF here, and a room got towed up. We had a WWE here, and cameras got broke. And so they're going to look directly at the company. So primarily, he wanted, to tell, wanted me to tell them that. So as I was talking, uh, before I went out to talk to him, what was his name, Robert Gibbs? Used to be one of the, uh, what is it, Robert Gibson? Is that his name? Robert Rock Gibson. Express? Yeah, 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 Robert Gibson. He said, he said, yeah, some of them guys got an attitude to him. He said, especially that one with the tape. He said, I want you especially to talk to him. So I went out there. I'm looking for a guy with a tape. Showing up, I'm talking, he's talking. So I said, some of you guys got a lot of respect. But some of y'all are completely asshole. They sent me all over here to talk to y'all. And I said, some of y'all sitting up in the freaking balcony talking to each other like y'all don't give a shit about what I got to say. And one of the guys tapped him and said, I think he's talking to you. He said, are you talking to me? And I said, yeah, I'm talking to you. I said, why are you listening to what I got to say? I said, Vince didn't see me down here just to be, you know, pissing in the wind. It must be important to Vince for me to be here to tell you guys that. And I think it'd be a respectful of you even if you don't agree with me, to listen. Oh, that old school stuff don't work no more. This is the new age, blah, 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 blah. And I said, i tell you what, what we did, we laid a foundation for wrestling for what you do. I said, furthermore, you couldn't even been a wrestler when I broke into the building because you're a little squirmy piece of shit. I said, my day, somebody would have stretched you and told you to go get another job. Well, one thing led to another day. I said, look, enough of this talking. I said, either shut your fucking mouth or I'll come up and shut it for you. And that was it. Did he take the tape off? No, nope, but he shut his mouth. Uh, Kamala Rambo put in there that the tickets were 99 cents, it looks like, for OVW. I guess that was not the case, though. But now we're the good friend because what it was... Yeah, what happened when you went over there at WWE? Well, 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 what happened was me and him, we got a talking. And what he was trying to explain to me, which I, it, it just as much as fault as him, uh, that what I was telling the kid won't work in today's market. Right. You know, I still had a lot of, in my day, and uh, one of the guys that really helped me to understand today's business was a gentleman by the name of John Morrison. I call him my mentor. But Morrison explained it to me the way punk, but it's a, a, just a lot more gentleman-like than what the way mm -hmm. punk. The reason punk came at me the way he did, because it was a crowd. And so he couldn't back down for me in front of a crowd because he was among his peers. Mm. So it, was, it wasn't so much that Punk was a bad guy. It was just that uh, we just started off on the wrong leg. Okay. But then later on, we got to know each other. We sat down, we, we discussed what happened one-on-one -on -one and found out that I was just as much at fault with that as uh, he was. My wife laughed, laughed about it when she heard about it. She said, Tony, they're sitting you down to talk to the kids. You get in a fight with one of the wrestlers, and you had to pick the champion to get in the fight with. She said, that had to be fucking Tony. He was the ECW champion at the time. Of all the people for me to get in a fight with. And then they had the big drug thing going on, too. And CM Punk was the only guy who could represent the WWE because he never used drugs. That's true. Yeah. And that's the guy I got to get in a fight with. <laughs> they post a child for, for, for non-drug use, the ECW champion, and who did Tony, of all the kids in that freaking stand, I had to pick that one. 2008, Sandman pleads guilty uh, to a misdemeanor charge of resisting arrest. This is from the infamous fight that he had at Captain Lou Albano's birthday. 
party in uh, July of the same year. Um, this was shortly before Lou Albano passed away because, what was his daughter's name? Cami Albano? Was that her name? I don't know. She used to be at USA Pro Wrestler uh, Wrestling events and I actually talked to her a few times. Very, very nice girl. I'm pretty sure it was the daughter of Lou Albano. I mean, but everybody used to say it was. Well, I mean, I could be wrong, but uh, they threw a party for Lou Albano and uh, Sandman got pissed drunk. And I remember he was on top of a table and it led to a fight. Cops showed up and they actually arrested Sandman at Lou Albano's party. Um, he was fined $1,000, paid some court costs and had a one-year conditional discharge. Some of the original charges of criminal mischief and assault were dropped. But, uh, you know, that went down in 2008. We're actually almost done with this episode. Got a couple of more, you know, a few things to get into and get out of here. Uh, 2010, WWE has their Hell in a Cell event in Dallas, Texas. Uh, you know, a lot of people remember this match because of Kane uh, versus The Undertaker, Hell in a Cell, which Kane did, in fact, win that night. Some of the matches that went down, Goldust, R-Truth, and Kofi Kingston over Cody Rhodes, Drew McIntyre, and Dolph Ziggler. Yes, Drew and Dolph did team up back then. Daniel Bryan defeated The Miz and Morrison in a triple threat submissions count anywhere match to retain the U.S. title. Randy Orton over Sheamus in a Hell in a Cell match to retain the WWE title. Edge over Swagger. Wade Barrett over John Cena. And as a result, John Cena was forced to join the Nexus. And if Cena would have won, or if any of the members of Nexus would have interfered in the match, the group would have been forced to disband. Never liked John Cena and Nexus. Thought it was really, really, you know, subpar storyline. Natty over Michelle McCool by DQ in a Divas title match, and Kane over The Undertaker in a Hell in a Cell match to retain the World Heavyweight Championship. 2010 as well. SmackDown debuts on my network, and it was an interesting main event. I actually thought this was pretty cool at the time. It was WWE champion Triple H defeated world heavyweight champion Chris Jericho and ECW heavyweight champion Matt Hardy in a non-title triple threat match. I thought it was pretty cool. Batista, Finley, Jeff Hardy, and Rey Mysterio over JBL, Kane, MVP, and the Brian Kendrick. Santino over Shelton Benjamin, Mark Henry and a great Kali over Chavito in a handicap match. Carlito, CM Punk, and Primo over Cody Rhodes, Manu, and Ted DiBiase. And Beth Phoenix over Michelle McGool in a lumberjack match. 2012, WWE tapes their first ever episode of Main Event. And the main event, do you know what the first ever main event was for Main Event? Believe it or not, it was CM Punk. The WWE champion at the time defeated world heavyweight champion Sheamus in a champion versus champion match. No titles were at stake. So they actually, you know, put both champions on main event for their first ever episode. Uh, 2012 as well, Dave Batista made his MMA debut. First round knockout over Vince Lucero. At a CES MMA event, I watched the match. I'm not an MMA fan, but I wanted to watch the match anyway. Vince Lucero, uh, you know, a couple of extra pounds on him. And Batista was not cheered all that much at this event. Now, some people have written that he was heavily booed. That's an exaggeration. After the match was over, Batista was actually very gracious on the mic. He admitted that he was extremely nervous. And we wondered if Batista was going to go on to have a, a you know a pretty 
solid MMA career. Obviously, never really gelled. But my God, if you look at the shape that Batista was in in 2012, you know, I'm sure we've all been envious of Batista's physique over the years. But in 12, man, was this guy cut. And, you know, to me, I think he was a little too skinny. But, you know, it was his first MMA fight. I don't think he embarrassed himself at all. I think people will arguably say that he actually did a better performance than CM Punk. Yeah, you look at his opponent, but still, balls, takes balls to, you know, have a fight like that. And Batista did it, and he won. All right, Scott, here it is. It's finally here, the long-awaited mixed martial arts debut of Dave, the animal Bautista. No easy task taking on the veteran Vince Lucero. 44 fights under his belt. And what a specimen Dave Bautista is, former bodybuilder, actor. And now he looks to try his hat in MMA, and he's been training. Here we go. There it is, round number one. These boys are squaring off. Neptus has got his hands up high. Short right hand. Sarah comes in right away with the right hand. And another right. Another right hand. He lands two big rights. He's landed two or three big Batista rights. with the knee. A third, a fourth. Well, Sarah just letting Body it all hang out. Over the top. He's doing exactly what you would expect somebody who took a fight on short notice to do. Exactly. Go in there very and it all out. Yep. Whatever you have, you throw. Now, Baptiste is doing a really good job. Overhook. Stop talking and fight was what was instructed by the uh, by the official Dan Megliata. Interesting. Batista certainly needs to show up the defense a bit. He caught two big right hands early on, and here he is with his back pressed against the cage. Lucera trying to use his force. If you can tell, though, Dan Megliata can't see it, but Vince is actually holding the cage underneath. Yeah. Now he's letting go. Now he's got the right hand free, and they're throwing on the exchange. Here we go. Here we go. The center of the canvas. Straight left hand, another left big hand. Right and left by Lucera. He's landing. Right leg kick. Another big left hand from Lucera. Batista, Batista needs to throw his hands. He's throwing great kicks. There's a right hand by Baptista. Rear teeth by Baptista. The right hand counter by Vince. Left hook, right cross. Another left hook, right cross. Baptista looks to clinch up. Vince is using a cross face to try to keep Baptista from pulling him in too tight. You know, Baptista certainly leaving himself open for these shots, Scott. He's walking right into these left and rights from Lucero. And he's walking through them, so I guess there's a little bit of both. You gotta uh, wonder if Lucero can really hurt him if he catches him on the chin. Let's, I think that anybody can be hurt at this weight with these short gloves, but let's, let's also realize that what the man did in the WWE, he's used to getting some shots, he's sure. used to a little bit of live stuff. So, um, and, and of course, in training, I'm sure he's used to a hell of a lot of live stuff. Batista now working that knee to the midsection. He got one off big. Nice elbow by Batista that just, just missed. Now Vince reverses on the clinch and pins Batista to the cage. And Lucero just flipped it around nicely and pressed him and right Vince back. And Vince is waving to the crowd <laughs> as this is happening. He's loving it. I mean, this is the show of a lifetime, and Lucero is soaking it up. And they got to break this one up wisely. Baptista needs to get his hands up, and Dave now switches to a lefty stance. Interestingly enough. He shoots right in for the takedown, and he gets it. Big takedown by Dave Batista. We were waiting to see if he had that in his arsenal. Well, we expected it as well. Now he's stepping over, bringing his right knee to try to pin down Vince's arm, and this is where Vince could be in a lot of trouble. We'll see if all that training at Gracie Jiu-Jitsu has paid off in Tampa. Well, Dave's looking to isolate both arms and then rain down punches, I guarantee you. Now his balance is slightly off. 
dropping that hammer fist down on Lucero. 40 professional fights at heavyweight. He's been here before. And now Dave Baptista gas mount. He looks like he's gonna get the back. This is a very big guy. He might not try the back mount. It's tough it to wrap your arms on the girth. Yeah. Dave might think about staying in side control here. There's a lot of girth he's given up. Big right good hands. Good right hands, good punches. Vince is working to defend. Baptista is trying to flatten him out. He does have good. He's doing a really good job. He has him on mount, but from the side. So maybe where the girth doesn't come into as much. You can see where the knees are on the ground. Landing some left hands now. Dan Magliata really right up in this to see what's going he's on. Got that left arm under. He has it under under his neck. It looks like he's going to try to go for a rear naked, but no, he lost that. Now he's throwing punches. To a couple of those Lucero to the back of the head. Lucero has to answer. These punches are coming in from both sides. He's going to stop the fight if this keeps up. This might not last Maybe much longer. Maybe two or three more punches. That'll That's be it. it. And Dave, the animal Batista, wins his mixed martial arts debut. The official stops the bout with just under a minute to go. And Batista throwing some taunts at Lucero. Why was he upset? I'm not quite did I miss sure. Well, did I miss something? We might find out afterward, but Dave Batista does win in his mixed martial arts debut. And Lucero kind of shot back at him. He has some choice words for him in the end. I'm not sure what went on in the exchange on the canvas. Maybe not happy with some of the showmanship by Lucero when he had his back against the cage. I'm not quite sure. I, I don't know if it was that if he even saw it. I, I think we're missing something here, and I'm not quite sure what it is. Wow, Lucero. Oh, they're both going back and forth. Going back and forth now. now, Batista. This is turning into a WWE event, sort of. But Batista with his arms raised in victory. The crowd not too happy with it, Scott. No, not at all. I, I'm not quite sure why... Dave's upset over something. I didn't see it. Well, if there's a replay, I don't even know where to rewind it to. We'll find Maybe out. Maybe Joe Lozon, when he does his right. post-fight interview, we'll, we'll have a better understanding. We will certainly find out from Joe Lozon afterward what went down to spark the exchange between Vince Lucero and Dave Bautista. In any event, it's a victory for Bautista. Let's send it down to Bill Carpenter for the particulars. Ladies and gentlemen, your official time, four minutes, five seconds of the first round. Referee Dan Merliotta stops the vote due to excessive unanswered strikes. Your winner by TKO, Dave Brassbody Batista. Well, a much better exchange at the end. Let's send it down to Joe Lozon for the official post-fight interview. Uh, so, so what do you think of your first MMA fight? How'd it go compared to how you expected it? I think my nerves got the best of me a little bit. Uh, he hits like a fucking horse. He, uh, <laughs> he rocked me and I, I was just... I didn't have my legs come, uh, under me coming out. I was just so nervous. But once uh, it took me a little bit to get my composure because I was just rocked. First uh, so, so when do you think you want to fight again? You know, something you want to do right away or wait a little bit or what do you think? No, I want to fight again for sure. I think, you know, it was, it was a matter of getting this first one out of the way. I mean, I, you know, the guys will tell you I was just so nervous. I had so many butterflies coming out. But, you know, I think it got the best of me a little bit. I, I think you handle butterflies pretty well. I'm better than I show tonight. I, I, I think you handle butterflies pretty well. You know, I think you showed, you know, a lot of skill and, you know, congratulations. Now, for all you out there that think that these record low ratings don't matter, in 2012, 
after scoring the lowest non-holiday episode rating in Monday Night Raw since 1997, they removed um, Brian Gerwitz as the head writer of Raw. That's only 2012. That's not that long ago. So believe me, I tell you, if you think ratings don't matter, they do make some pretty substantial changes if needed. Now, same year, 2012, a lot of people are really into this promotion. It's still going strong. House of Hardcore debuts. Tommy Dreamer's promotion, House of Hardcore, debuted this week in 2012. Would you like to know the match results from his first ever event? Davari over Crowbar. Danny Doring and Roadkill over the FBI. Jazz over Winter. Tony Nice over Alex Reynolds. Scott Steiner over Big XLG. Extra Lodge with Eddie Kingston. Chris Mordetsky, you know him as Chris Masters. He did a master lock challenge with Hale Collins and went to a no contest. This led to them having a singles match and Chris Mordetsky won. Rhino over Sammy Callahan. Big Daddy V over Jonathan Redbeard. And then he also defeated Mike Mitchell. Paul London and Brian Kendrick over the Young Bucks. And the main event, Carlito over Tommy Dreamer and Mike Knox. Three-way match for the FWE heavyweight title. 2013, WWE signs Leah Vandell to a WWE developmental deal. And in case you don't know who that is, we know her now as Carmella. Same year, 2013, WWE had their battleground pay-per-view from Buffalo, New York. You know, the match that everybody always remembers the stipulations for. Cody Rhodes and Goldust defeated The Shield. The stipulation was that if they would have lost the match, them along with Dusty Rhodes would be banned from WWE for life. But because they won the match against Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns, they were reinstated by WWE. 2014, Velveteen Dream makes his pro wrestling debut. Takes place for the WXW promotion in Coldale, Pennsylvania. He wrestles under the name Rick Powers and lost to Kai Katana. 2014 as well, Lucha Underground has a taping in Los Angeles, California. Prince Puma defeats Johnny Mundo in an Aztec Warfare match to become the first ever Lucha Underground champion. 2015, WWE has a Madison Square Garden event, and it is the first match for Brock Lesnar. And over 10 years after his debacle against Goldberg at WrestleMania 20. It was also the 25th anniversary of Chris Jericho's pro wrestling debut, which we talked about earlier. Same year, 2015, TNA has their Bound for Glory pay-per-view. And TNA was in so much disarray at this time. They had no idea what was going to happen with their TV future. They didn't even know what to do with these, you know, upcoming cards and storylines. They have Matt Hardy, the TNA heavyweight champion. And the storyline was, was that EC3 wanted to file an injunction. And the reason being is because he felt that he was unfairly treated, that he was supposed to have a one-on-one match and Matt Hardy was put into it. Jeff Hardy was a referee. So it was just unfair competition. And it was just a really dopey storyline. And what made it worse was in the same week, Matt Hardy goes on YouTube And he's sitting on a cute couch, TNA World Heavyweight title in front of him, looking, you know, very dapper. And uh, he says the following. My entire life, I have dreamt of becoming the World Heavyweight Champion. And last Sunday night at TNA's biggest event of the year, Bound for Glory, that dream, 
that dream became a reality. And I couldn't have been more proud of that entire evening. It happened in my home state in North Carolina. It happened in front of my family, my wife, my son, my dad was there. It was utterly amazing, fairy tale like stuff. EC3, the champion before me, he couldn't man up and say, you know, Matt, you were the better man on that evening. You won. It's not what we did at all. He followed an injunction towards me and towards Impact Wrestling. He said that Dixie Carter, his aunt, stacked the deck against him. You know, he followed, he, he went to lawyers, attorneys, the courts. He got all these legal issues involved. And now, with this injunction, I cannot even appear on Impact for the next month. He's basically got... He's basically got Impact Wrestling, and he's holding them hostage. The wrestling fans of Impact, they don't deserve that. No, TNA wrestling fans, they're the best in the world. They deserve to have a champion that can be on television, that can defend the title. They don't, they don't deserve this. I hate it when courts and lawyers get involved. So there's only one thing that's going to make this go away. And five minutes ago, I called Dixie Carter. And it was the toughest call that I've ever made. It was sickening in many ways. The only way all this goes away and this injuncture is dropped is if I relinquish the TNA World Heavyweight title. I don't want to, but I need to. It's best for Impact Wrestling. It's best for TNA. And I did that. I told Dixie, I'm going to relinquish the title. It gets the injunctions thrown out. Because the Impact Wrestling fans, they deserve the best. They deserve to have a champion. They deserve to have a great product. Not what EC3 is offering. But I'll tell you what. The next opportunity I get to compete for this thing, I'm going to win it again. And this time I'm going to win it where there is no controversy. Because Impact Wrestling and TNA, they deserve to have a World Heavyweight Champion that's honorable. This is going to fight like a man, not fight through his wallet with lawyers. EC3, you said that I didn't win this in an honorable way. With my son, Max will be proud of me. Hell yeah, he would be proud of me. He's proud of me right now. My wife's proud of me. My dad's proud of me. And you know what? They're going to be even more proud of me when I win this again. And this tournament just went on. Went on and went on because they really didn't know what the fuck was going to happen with their future. I mean, the Destination America deal had expired and they just did this to just try to buy time. And looking back on it, it was just a really, really dopey, horrible storyline. Good thing out of it was, you know, the transition of Matt Hardy into Broken Matt. And we had the Broken Universe and everything, you know, is history. And we will actually bring up Matt Hardy again in one moment, but I have to mention this first. Uh, the last audio clip we're going to share on this episode, same year, 2015, NXT had their event Takeover Respect from Full Sail University in Florida. And it would be very disrespectful if we didn't bring up this match because a lot of people feel it is in the top five of the greatest matches ever in NXT. Bailey versus Sasha Banks, 30-minute Iron Man match for the NXT championship. Bailey was the champion at the time. Sasha Banks was on her way out to go up to the main roster. And the match had was two falls to two falls with only a couple of minutes left in the match. And I'm going to share with you the final 10 minutes in a match. It is very entertaining. And honestly, they did tear it up. 
that night. So let's reminisce 2015 closing moments, Bailey versus Sasha Banks for the NXT women's title. Getting down to crunch time in this one. All for the NXT women's title. And again, Bailey tied up at the top rope. Sasha launched herself. Shoulder first into the steel oh, ring post. Look at Bailey, look at Bailey, just draped over that top turnbuckle. This is an opening, but again, I just, I don't know if Bailey can capitalize. This is where endurance plays into it. Which one of these women has the better cardio? Who trained harder for this? This comes down to pure heart. Two-two your score. Coming up on eight minutes left. That's Bailey. Oh. Remember that? A little bit of Now it's Bailey attacking the hand of Sasha Banks. And Sasha Banks attacked the left hand of Bailey to take over Brooklyn. Tried to, tried to break the hand of Bailey. Yeah, Sasha Banks did a ton of damage to the hand of Bailey and Brooklyn, and yet they say turnabout's fair play. But this is that attitude, that mentality that Bailey's going to have to keep. Bailey hooks the leg and a kick out. Every time we've seen Sasha Banks raise the ante, Bailey has done the very same. Was injured earlier in the match and the left hand as well. Coming up on seven minutes left. Oh, Sasha Banks trying to get some feeling back into that left hand. Take another look. We remember what happened in Brooklyn with stairs. Well, I know, but we are seeing a different Bailey right now. That's what now. I was going to say. We have never seen this side of Bailey. You think the oh, the depths that Sasha Banks has driven Bailey to you as a steel strike. Bailey again, launching herself the stairs with a vicious clothesline. Six and a half minutes left. Sasha brought this upon herself. You wanted to take this. You wanted to create this monster on the outside of the ring. Well, now it's coming back to fight you. Oh. Maybe not. We are tied at two. 30-minute Ironman match. The NXT Women's Championship is on the line. Uh, guys, this is where the clock is becoming an issue. Less than six minutes remaining in this match. Tie score. You're going to start entering that desperation period for both Sasha Banks and Bailey. And this is a smart move by Sasha Banks. She rolls in. She could get another fall by countout right here. She already has one. Three up to the five count. Bailey needed to get back in the ring. Here comes Sasha. She got herself. Oh, oh Bailey caught her. Bailey caught her. Bailey to Bailey on the outside. Five and a half minutes left. 2-2, your score. We're seeing an unreal effort between these two young ladies. Cover, Bailey, looking to go on 3-2, and Sasha, Sasha kicks out. We're talking about heart, talk about guts. Sasha Banks has got to be in pure agony right now after that Bailey to belly on the floor. Everyone, everyone here in the NXT arena walked through that scoreboard. 
Sasha diving through the ropes, but Bailey caught her. Everyone watching the crowd, watching time tick away, seeing who's going to get the advantage. Just under five minutes remaining in this Iron Man match. Not only everybody watching the clock, but everybody on their feet. What an atmosphere inside the NXT arena at full sail. 30-minute Iron Man match. We're down to the closing minutes. Sasha's body is limp. Yeah, but how much does Bailey have left in the tank? I mean, exhaustion just setting in. You gotta somehow suck it up for four and a half minutes. How much is this match taken out of both of these competitors? Coming on, uh, coming up on four minutes. See the pain entrenched on the face of Sasha. Sasha's exhausted. Bailey clearly exhausted as well. The wear and tear of this match. What time continues to take. Evident on both of these ladies. Oh, goodness. Bailey to Bailey. Bailey may get her here. Rolling Sasha over. Shoulders down. Fritz on the rope. She got her foot on the rope. I don't even know. I don't know if that was Sasha by on purpose or, or Bailey's momentum just kind of forced it over. With less than three and a half minutes left. If that did not put yeah, watch this Sasha again. away, let's look at that. And watch uh, to your point, Corey. Yeah, watch Bailey go for the pinball here. Almost pushing. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, guys, as time winds down to this, if, if that wasn't enough to score a decision over Sasha Banks, what happens if we tick down to the, the final minutes here and we're still tied at two? Uh, I think you have a draw, and I think Bailey keeps her championship. A draw? A draw, Saxton? Are you kidding me? You think you, you think Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels wanted to settle for a draw? No, they went into overtime. These girls are making history right now. Well, we, we still got 245 to get to that point. Knock it off. Let's go. Bailey, back it up. Let's go. Bailey again going to the top. Two and a half minutes left in this 30-minute Iron Man match for the NXT Women's Title. Here goes Bailey to the top. Let's see what's about to happen here. We saw this at TakeOver Brooklyn. Oh! Reverse Bailey Kinrata. Bailey's landed on her feet. Oh my God. Bailey had no clue. Wait a minute. Bailey to Bailey. My God, Sasha Banks hooks the leg and Bailey kicks out. Yeah. Bank statement. Bank statement locked in. Bank statement locked in. Will Bailey tap out? Less two minutes two left. Minutes. Less two minutes two left. Minutes we are tied at two. Bailey desperately trying to hang on. Sasha Banks. With the bank statement, locked in deep, Bailey with nowhere to go. If Sasha can score a decision here, that could be it. We could see a new women's champion. Bailey trying to hold on, trying to hold on to her dreams, trying to hold on to her championship, trying to hold on to this matchup. 90 seconds, 90 seconds remaining. Look at the grip of Sasha Banks, though. That damage that Bailey did to the hand, she can't get a full grip. She's not getting the full torque on Bailey. Bailey reaching out desperately. With all her might, Bailey reaching with that left hand, trying to look at the boss. And Sasha Banks using the ropes for leverage. Able to push oh, off. Right, right. Bailey trying no. to reverse. Back, back into again. the bank statement. A minute five. A minute five. We're tied at two. If Sasha Banks can force Bailey to tap out with a minute left. 
but Banks can't lock her hands. She doesn't have the full grip. Can she hang on? She got almost 50 seconds. Can she just hang on? Bailey is starting to fade. And Sasha Banks stopping at the hand of Bailey. Oh, going after that hand. Bailey trying to fight her way out. Bailey going after the seconds remaining. How she just was that? She just spiked the fingertips of Sasha Banks into the mat. We're tied at two. Coming up on 30 seconds left. 30 seconds remain. Sasha Banks. Banks David again. Banks David again. Reversed. Reversed. Bailey. Bailey submission been over. 15 seconds. 15 seconds left. Tied at two for the NXT Women's Title. Get those fingers back. Back that bad hand. Sasha Banks. And finally, 2016, Bound for Glory takes place once again. And Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy, now the Broken Universe, they defeat Abyss and Crazy Steve in the Great War to win the TNA Tag Team Championship. I wanted to share some of this audio, but honestly, a lot of it has no commentary. And I tried to trim it down a little bit, but it just butchered the match itself. So you really just got to go out of your way. And I remember when this match aired, a lot of people out there didn't like, you know, the way it was produced. And, you know, some people to this day don't like, you know, the, the brawls that they had at the Hardy compound. I fucking loved it. I thought it was great. And the great war with uh, Abyss and Crazy Steve was very entertaining as well. Sure. A lot of it was recorded earlier in the week and it was all spliced together, but so what? (laughs) It was a fun match. And, uh, you know, that's it for this week in wrestling history. Notable birthdays this week. Those celebrating birthdays who are no longer with us. Happy birthday to Bruno San Martino, Paul Bosch, Chief J. Strongbow, Gene Anderson, Mickey Gold, Waldo Von Erich, Art Barr, Brazo De Oro, Ripper Collins, Don Fargo, Yokozuna, Patsy O'Neill, and Ray Guerrero. Happy birthday to all of you. God rest your souls. Yonataro Tanaka turns 90. Bob Armstrong, 79. Linda McMahon, 70. Mike Adamley, 69. Could you believe he's that old? Judy Martin, 63. Barry Darzel, 59. Bobby Fulton and Max Payne, 57. 
El Dandy, 56. Dixie Carter, 54. Terry Reynolds, 52. Pio Dito, 51. Chichi Cruz, 50. Malia Hosaka turns 49. Heavy Metal, 48. Alcatraz, 47. Silver Star, Abyss, and J.R. Ryder turn 45. Tigre Blanco, Ebola, Loke, and Damien turn 44. Michael Nakazawa and Rhino turn 43. Emi Sakura turns 42. Damager Riki, uh, Rikia Fudo, Angel Del Futuro, and Estrella Universal turn 41. Kinshin turns 40. John Hennigan, Paul Birchall, and Mario Moro, Mora turn 39. The Miz and Dylan Knight turn 38. Chris Stevens, 37. Mikey Batts, 35. Insane Dragon and Manu, 34. DJ Z, Caitlin, Masami Morahashi and Bill Martell turn 32. Aiden English turns 31. And happy birthday to Sky Angel, who turns 24. Notable debuts this week in history. Shawn Michaels, Great Muda, and Masahiro Chono debuted in 84. Lex Luger in 85. Lance Storm and Chris Jericho in 1990. Daniel Bryan and Brian Kendrick debuted in 1999. The Great Kali in 2000 and Velveteen Dream in 2014. And finally, notable deaths this week, those who passed away this week in history. Lance Russell, Jim Sixay, and Bob Langevin died at 91. Hopefully I pronounced them right. Kamon Kudo died at 86. Lee Grable at 84. Al Baffert, 83. Bill Bauman, at 82, Glenn Wade at 81, Billy Rolling Thunder died at 75, Gene Murphy at 73, Klondike Bill died at age 68, Bobby Jaggers at 64, Red Fenton at 63, we lost Gorilla Monsoon at the age of 62, Nick Elich at 60, Jay York died at age 57, Antonio Pena at 55, Don Lee and Bob Morse at 52, Mike Nazarin not Mizanin, but Nazarin, and Al Mills at 51. Chris Adams died at 46. Rocky Smith at 42. Larry Cheney at 40. Johnny Mucci died at age 38. Sean Evans at 36. Brian Pillman at 35. And Gran Naniwa died at age 33. And with that, I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Week in Wrestling History. Follow me on Twitter at DonTonyD, the website DonTony.com. Email me, DonTony at DonTony.com. Facebook.com slash DTKC show. And once again, if you like what we do and you want to help support these shows, help us keep the bills paid, keep these free for everyone, consider our Patreon page, Patreon.com slash DonTony. I arguably, you know, challenge anyone to find me a wrestling theme page that gives you more. Not only do we have pay-per-view prediction contests there, early releases of this show and others, ad-free episodes of DTKC, Breakfast of Blossie, and more, but we have Patreon-exclusive shows there, Breakfast Soup, which is hosted by yours truly, and Mish. We have, uh, between that and Kevin Castle's solo show, Castle Chronicles, is over 1,000 hours of audio. We put up retro hotlines that I did over 20 years ago. We got retro shows of the mass maniac and lost episodes in a minority report. You get all of this for five bucks. And I'm now about to debut vlogs. We're going to be doing little mini vlogs talking about various topics, you know, in and out of wrestling. So go check it out. 
patreon.com slash Don Tony. Everyone be well. Enjoy the rest of the week. I will be back next week with episode 41 of This Week in Wrestling History. Take care, everyone. Ciao. Don Tony. Everyone be well. Enjoy the rest of the week. I will be back next week with episode 41 of This Week in Wrestling History. Take care, everyone. Ciao. New to Medicare? Start now. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about some of the top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. If you're thinking about a Medicare Advantage plan, MyHealthPolicy.com is a great place to go to find a plan that meets your needs. Learn more about your options. Even talk with a licensed insurance agent. MyHealthPolicy.com. New to Medicare? Go to MyHealthPolicy.com. With MyHealthPolicy.com, you can compare plans from some of the nation's top insurers. Start now to find a plan and apply online. MyHealthPolicy.com makes it easy to find a Medicare Advantage plan in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. My decision, my Medicare. MyHealthPolicy.com.